Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stanima, a Survivor's Panama Rewatch podcast brought to you by the Bitter Jurors Network for the Survivor off-season. As always, I'm your host, Christine Palin, and we are back with arguably the most famous episode of the season. I wrote about it for Inside Survivor's Best Episodes of Survivor uh, Countdown in, in 2020. I can't remember where this placed it, but I should have checked that. I should know that. Um, but I really love this episode. We're talking about medical emergency. It aired on April 20th, 2006. This was actually the day before my 10th birthday. So I don't remember watching this episode, but I assure, I'm sure it was, uh, I was really, really excited because it was my birthday the next day. Uh, but my next guest, oh my God, this was such an exciting get for me as I was booking this podcast. I was like so nervous to message him because he's like so, I'm like, and he's making a face because I shouldn't have been nervous, but I was like, He's so like, he does like real pod Survivor podcasts and like writes about Survivor. Um, but you may have read his writing on Parade.com and various other outlets. You may have heard him talking on Rob as a podcast and post-show recaps, or maybe you've just followed him on Twitter. Please welcome to the podcast, Mike Bloom. Oh my goodness. What an incredible introduction. Let me be clear. I'm the poser here. I'm just <laughs> the one that's coming in, being a Survivor fan, same as you all, uh, you know, my heart left a little bit. I was, I think, 17, or I was about to turn 17 mm -hmm. when Panama first aired. So a skosh older, though I'm sure we're making other people jump out of their bones. So excited to be here. Christine, if you could use an adjective to describe your apartment right now, what would it be? Certainly not shitty. It's hot. Hot apartment. I do think if someone threatened to come and kill you in your hot apartment, it does feel like a little bit of a compliment sandwich of like, oh, okay, well, at least you said I had a hot apartment. Yeah, exactly. I'm very happy to not live in a shitty apartment, but yes, mine is quite warm. We are having a bit, not of a, it's been a, a mild summer in Montreal, but I, we don't have AC, so. <laughs> mm. And I will say, uh, we can obviously do the fact checking, but I'd like to believe for the sake of this podcast, the medical emergency had to land at number two in the list, right? I'm going to be real. It certainly didn't, but. <laughs> I mean, listen, if I were on that staff, I would be pushing Redmond being like, no. It'll be so funny. I don't care what the ads are. Turn off the replies. Number two has to be that Bruce can't poop. Oh, you're going to be upset. We only had this at number 72 out of 100. I mean, there was a two, there was a two in it at least. There's so I was two. happy about that. Panama for sure was in our top 20. Like like maybe I think it was number 12 in our top seasons. I also wrote there's about it. There's a two seasons. again. Two, 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 two angel number. Um, there's not a second two anywhere here. Um, but it's, <laughs> Panama was the 12th season of Survivor. So mm -hmm. 12th season of Survivor, 12th season of Countdown, 72, two, 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 angel number. You, you should have also just trolled them and done a ranking of the Survivor seasons and just gone one Borneo, two Australian <laughs> Outback and just see how long it takes for people to notice what's going on. I think by the time we got to Thailand, it would become pretty evident. That'd be a pretty yeah. hot take. I don't know. There'd be some people like, yeah, yeah. finally, someone's stumping for that season. There's always someone. That's the thing I love about um, being a Survivor fan is that there's always someone with an opinion you don't expect. Like there's always some, there's every person has at least one stand. Yeah, this is why your your rewatch series is going to continue into er in perpetuity, right? You just need a stand pun and you'll have Stanland is coming next off season. That's the thing about Survivor, though, that I feel like has been keeping it on the years for 20 plus years is the fact that so many people come to it for different reasons. And even if you come to it for the same reasons, if you come to it for the gameplay, chances are you probably like a different style of gameplay than the next person who does. For me, what's always attracted me to the show to the point that I become so obsessive about it uh, to that 
I parlayed, you know, a career writing and talking about it is that I have always loved the characters and the story. Uh, I'm not a huge strategy head. The challenges are fine to fun, as we'll see in this episode, but nothing to write home about, especially as of late. All I need (laughs) is a group of interesting people and some sort of cogent narrative. And that is why Panama is one that has stood the test of time for me, because if you talk about a cast, this is a cast. Yeah, this is just this episode in particular. I mean, for me, this is the peak peak of the season because it just speaks to what I love about this season. And when Survivor's at its best is I agree, I'm also a big character and narrative fan. And I'm also a big you can't write this shit, fan. Mm. And and this episode, you could not write this in terms of like the 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 way everyone is split up, like, and you just end up with Courtney and Shane, the people you least want in a in a medical emergency at camp with Bruce. Like you could not write that. And their responses to it, like the nurse isn't even there. Like if you're writing this, you'd want the nurse there because it's like the drama. And it's like, no, it's it's because it's just a crazy <laughs> group of people. <laughs> yeah, it's like an episode of Grey's Anatomy where like yes. McDreamy and Meredith are gone. And so it's like, oh, here's the naked homeless man that's going to come <laughs> in and, you know, do a code blue on somebody. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's just, you could not write it. And yeah, this is, I think this episode speaks to that. So I, I you were, when I asked you, you were like, well, I, I really want to do medical emergency. There was yeah, no doubt for you which one you were picking. So in my youth, because of the scant amount of money I had as a teenager, I've bought five total episodes of television on Apple slash iTunes, whatever it was known as back in the day. Uh, one of them was Gay Witch Hunt, the season three premiere of The Office. Three of them were the first three episodes of Mad Men for a paper I was doing in college. And the fifth one was Medical Emergency. Wow. This, was, this was an episode I remember watching for the first time and feeling like, A, this is the funniest Survivor episode ever, something that I still hold in that regard to this day. And two, this is something I need to watch on demand, essentially, before that was really a thing back in 2006. So yeah, it's something that stuck with me originally to the point that I decided to put together my hard-earned bucks to buy it for like $7 on iTunes and watch on like a shitty 360p quality. (laughs) So you've spoken, you've evoked your youth a bit and your survivor fandom a bit. So for folks, I'm assuming most of our listeners have at least read your writing or heard you on podcasts. But if, for those who don't know you as well, can you just talk a bit about like how you came to be a survivor fan? Um, day one fan, you know, just talk about it a bit. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know me, I apologize for what you're about to experience <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, so I am a, can't technically say day one, I guess I would say either day six or day 36, depending on how you time things out. I came on during the sixth episode of Survivor Borneo, uh, where obviously it had caught on like wildfire in these first few weeks, what exactly was happening. I remember watching that sixth episode being really into it, but then obviously the merge episode was really what set things off for me and obviously a game-changing episode of the show. The tough thing was back in those days, obviously, there was no way to go back and watch the first five episodes. The good news, though, was that that was aired in May to, you know, July, August of 2000. And then I don't know if you remember this, they actually re-aired season one in the fall uh, because it was so popular. And so I watched those first five episodes in the fall. And that was my first 
uh, touch with completionism. Uh, obviously, this was my first reality show. I hadn't checked out any of the stuff that came before it, including the real world, but it just opened my mind up to, to your point, uh, this idea of like, you can't write this. Wow, this is drama that exists and comedy that exists on screen, interpersonal stories that are just coming from real people. And I was obsessed with obviously that iconic first season cast and I never let it go, even through college when people usually drop off due to various extracurricular activities. I was holed up on my little Dell uh, book, just uh, watching episodes of Heroes versus Villains and Redemption Island. So haven't missed an episode six and I am extraordinarily lucky that coming up on about 10 years from now, uh, I started doing podcasting first with the Survivor Historians, who, much like this podcast, go back and rewatch old seasons, got the distinct pleasure of getting to talk about this episode, so very eager to revisit it all those years later, and then got involved with, as you mentioned, Rob has a podcast from there, first as a podcaster, and I somehow stumbled ass backwards into a writing career from that. I currently cover the show on Parade.com, doing mainly uh, interviews with the contestants, both before and after they are voted out. And then I've sort of gone uh, and covered a bunch of other reality shows as well as scripted shows as well. But Survivor is a show that has been so foundational to me, both as obviously a professional, but as a person. Uh, if you think back to like, what are some pop culture properties that informed who you are now? To me, it's The Simpsons, it's Arrested Development, and it's Survivor. Because without Survivor, wouldn't have gotten into Big Brother, into The Amazing Race, into all these other shows I cover, and just wouldn't have opened my mind to the wild, wild world of reality television. Wow, fantastic. This is where I can reveal the, yeah, that the Survivor Historians was where I first encountered you. I listened to it. Uh, I went through like year, uh, quite a few years ago now, like when like was working out a lot and just listened to like, I don't remember how far about, up I got, but several seasons in a row. And that was my introduction to Mike Bloom. Yeah. And for those <laughs> that don't know, the Survivor Historians, so we like to cover, unlike Christine, who's doing uh, the much saner job, we usually cover <laughs> like multiple episodes in a recording session. And those oftentimes go like three, four, sometimes five to six hours. So were you like marathon training if you're binging all these seasons in a row? No, I would like listen on the bus to the gym at the gym on the way back while I cook. Mm, it was like, okay. you guys are very much living my life with me. But I mean, I did not listen to them each episode for entire training session. That would be quite impressive. But no, I did I did enjoy them quite a bit. And that's how I eventually found my way to follow you on Twitter. Wow. Yeah. And I would also say I'm really glad that you've done this and other people have engaged in these rewatch projects as well. The last thing I want to do, both like as someone who has podcasted about the show before and just a member of the community is gatekeep anybody, especially considering that in the past few years, we have had this real windfall of people getting into the show by watching it on Netflix and being like, oh, let me catch up on all these seasons. So like, yeah, if, if people are saying, oh, Survivor Historians did this idea first, I don't know if you've ever gotten that comment, but like, it's fine. We've done it first, but we're not doing it last, uh, especially considering that like we are four heterosexual married <laughs> white men our perspectives are only so limited. They're about as short as Shane's temper. So I love bringing in, you know, various people from various communities to talk about this type of stuff, because it's clear, especially in old school Survivor, where things were 
honestly a bit more on PC and more uncouth how like certain things can be looked upon differently based on your perspective. Yeah, I've brought this up several times. She's going to feel like a star if she hears this. But my friend Audrey is someone I've gotten into Survivor over the past couple of years. Basically, Derek and I just directed her what season yes. to watch and like have molded her in our in our image. Um, but she's been someone who's been so interesting to have watched the season. She always sends me her thoughts. And she's come on the podcast for both Stanawatu and Stanima. Because she didn't grow up watching a lot of reality TV, she never watched Survivor growing up, and and her perspective on it is just so in, so different from mine. And she's brought up things I never thought about, and like we've had been like, yeah, like this is something I've had to overcome with watching the show of some of the like tribal imagery and the imperialism mm. that we don't talk about, and like it's led to interesting discussions because when you you grow up watching the show, you don't think about those things because they're just present and and. And now this is such an interesting time to be revisiting these old seasons because there's so much Survivor is so much so constantly engaging with its own legacy now in terms of talking about, you know, ever winners at war onwards, you know, talking about the new era that's well implying Mm. the old era, what's different now and then, you know, the whole it's like the way we talk about the show people are talking about, I want the old show back. It's like, okay, what what was the old show, quote unquote. And 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 kind of how different is that? Were were there bad things that are, are better now? And it's so I think that's why these what I'm doing with with this podcast and you know Gia Worthy also did with Fiji Forever are it's so interesting in this particular time because Survivor is trying to change, but also still kind of very actively engaging with its own history and and fans are trying to reckon with what works and what doesn't. Right, and there's this idea of you don't know what you've got till it's gone, in a way. I certainly think there are more redeeming qualities of the new era than maybe your typical fan, who especially in the past couple seasons have felt like, uh, all right, we're getting a little samey-samey with this new era. But I do think going back and looking at this stuff is always appreciated. I am someone who consistently advocates for re-watching reality TV seasons, especially. You know, I will not be so snobbish as to say you cannot rank seasons unless you've rewatched them, unless you're doing a trolley ranking where you're going one Borneo to Australian <laughs> Outback, etc. But for me, there is so much value in a the fact that if you just blitz through a season and then move on, there's a good chance you're going to miss out on so many details that you either don't remember or miss not seeing the forest for the trees. And B, I think there is appeal to knowing who did the murder at the end of the mystery, right? Of looking back at a winner's narrative in particular and seeing what was there that we didn't see or what was there that should have been there that wasn't there. Something like, you know, what happens with the winner of Survivor Samoa as an example. And so it's something that I've always been valuing has only become emboldened by doing things like Survivor Historians. And I'm glad the pandemic has hopefully given people opportunities in series like this to actually rewatch these seasons because I have certainly had seasons that I loved in the first watch fall greatly in the rewatch. And I've had seasons Vanuatu being a very prime example of something at the time. I was like, wait, a woman didn't win this. Fuck <laughs> this. Why, why, why did this narrative exist to like loving that season very near my top 10 uh, in terms of just so much great stuff inside of it. Yeah. Not just sucking kneecaps there. <laughs> so I, I think it's just so ingrained. I mean, also, Look at the fact that we change as people as well. We value different things. How many of us talked about how our favorite players growing up were Rupert and Colby, and now you watch them back with cringe the entire time. So I just think there's such value to doing it, especially in a season like this, where if people are saying, 
oh, Modern Survivor is too sappy, too happy-go-lucky, which I do disagree with, but we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> we need, like, knockdown, drag-out fights. Ooh, golly, we got a lot in this season. Exactly. So you mentioned seasons that have grown on you in a rewatch, seasons that have gone down on a rewatch. Where where does Panama fit into that for you? Has it always stayed this, you know, has it always been a favorite? How has that changed over time for you? Yeah, so Panama has always been in, like, the cusp of, I would say, the top quartile for me, because now there's been 44 seasons, right? So it's really easy to parse out. I think I've always had it at, like, between 12 and maybe like 15 or 16, because again, it is so entertaining to me. It is the funniest survivor season. The Kasaya tribe is just magic. As you keep mentioning, you cannot write this particular mix of personalities. And then there's also this like very intriguing narrative of Terry being this underdog, consistently foiling plans, but it's not like that's the only narrative the entire time unlike perhaps the season that comes after where you look back in retrospect and you're like, yeah, the narrative is actually pretty simple. If you look back at it, especially in the post merge, there's so much happening within these episodes that to me, I think it's a fantastically entertaining season from a personality perspective, but there's also a lot of great strategy in there as well. You got Sari fields in there, especially with her origin story. How can you go wrong? And really, I think we have you to thank and drop your buffs, right? For like basically manifesting that Sari show up on our screens after we watch her origin story here. You talked about Terry as an underdog. We've had a lot of of Terry takes, let's say. Ooh. And as we kind of get into actually discussing the episode, I wanted to get your Terry take. We've had, um, you know, obviously everyone agrees he's a great presence in the narrative in terms of like full constantly foiling uh Kasaya's plans but also Terry is a player in how he's played this merge um I know you're, you're not much of a gameplay person and me neither but um where does what's your take what's your Terry take in how he's kind of navigated this situation up till now well I think first of all my Terry take is that like he's kind of an asshole yeah, like that's I, the thing yeah. which makes it so interesting is that when we talk about heroes and villains and perhaps the season about them, what's always so interesting about that is that it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what the narrative is painting to us. We've had several people be painted to us as like giant grandiose villains who like were not necessarily. And we've certainly had people painted to us as heroes who annoyed people on the Island and maybe were not the holier than thou presence Terry becomes this hero not only because, of course, his, you know, job outside of the show, you know, being this fighter pilot, being someone who represents our military, but also, again, being in this position that up to this point was like near unfathomable, right? That it's one versus six in this episode. How the hell is he going to do this? I mean, those are literal Herculean odds. And so it's so interesting to watch it happen from quote unquote, an older man, even though again, now that we look at Terry's real age and like you shrink inside yourself, basically, if you haven't before with Christine and I aging ourselves from when we were watching Panama as a game player, it's so interesting to deal with like the mutually assured destruction that comes with this, what is now known as the Tyler Perry super idol, right? This like garish looking shrunken head that Terry dug out of the sand where essentially it's like anytime he loses immunity, he is going to get voted out, but he's not getting voted out. It's basically just like slashing at his shield, right? To just get it off of him. So then we could get him the next time. And what's so interesting is like 
the Aris of the situation as well, where I know last episode, he was very concerned of like, well, if he gives the idol to Sally, then it's just going to bounce on to me and then I go. But to see Aris almost like kept in as a presence to help the Terry thing of like, well, listen, none of us can beat him, but you know who can? Aris. It's certainly an argument that has been posited in Survivor before that ideally this should be an individualistic game, but it becomes almost a team challenge at that point, right? Of like, well, we got to keep the tribe strong to beat the one man other tribe of Terry. And so seeing that dynamic and like where Aris falls and all that is incredibly fascinating. For Terry himself, I mean, you just got to like really put a lot of stock in yourself. My anxious ass could never. (laughs) I would rather have an ally than an idol any day of the week. But I could see if Terry would want to go with the very Occam's razor reasoning because he's not the biggest savant in the world when it comes to complicated strategy of like, listen, I could play the idol on Sally, but I'm not guaranteed to be safe tomorrow. This guarantees me at least one more round if I don't win immunity. Let me bank on the guarantee rather than the possibility. Terry doesn't seem like a type of person that really, you know, doesn't hedge on bets, I should say. And so I think the the conservative play, by ironically enough, him allowing his closest ally to get voted out, makes a lot of sense to me, even if it just furthers this pagonging and puts him in this hole he has to dig himself out of. Yeah, I don't know if you caught in the, like, episode recap at the top of the episode Jeff said Terry strategically uh keeps the idol for himself which like very like that like that was a strategy but I think we're overstating it (laughs) strategy technically is just a series of choices Terry made a choice it's strategic then from that perspective you could strategically choose when to brush your teeth in the morning (laughs) and that's part of your strategy if you want to implement it yeah, and the the whole Terry of this of it all, the specter of Terry in this episode, the Bruce's Metamatvac is made even funny. Obviously, we're all, we're gonna laugh about Bruce's Metamatvac a lot this episode. I know let, that's let the it thing. Said, we're, we don't we're not laughing at the man being ill. <laughs> no, like and constipation sounds incredibly painful, and like just a racking amount of pain that I would not wish upon even my worst enemy. However, <laughs> through 44 seasons of Survivor, it still takes the cake that the funniest medevac of all time has to go to a man who couldn't poop. Poop is funny. I'm sorry. Frank Reynolds said it best. I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of poop talk in this the show and this podcast proper. There's no way to get past that veneer to get to like the legitimate medical concerns of Bruce Bruce's colon being entirely blocked up. So with that said, with that disclaimer, <laughs> I Bruce's medevac is made even funnier because the whole it's all hinging on like they need some they need everyone to stick together. And like also Bruce is on the bottom of things. They're kind of hoping they can throw him as cannon fodder if if Terry's, <laughs> you know, gonna idle. They know like obviously Aris knows Terry's gonna want him out. But like that's one less person that the vote could fall on. And now they're like all in even more danger in the next round as Terry yeah. still has his idol. Like it is, they don't, you know, they don't focus on that obviously. Cause Bruce, you know, they're sad. Bruce has got as a person, but like, that's kind of the underlying thing is Terry benefits the most from this. And they're all now in like a much tighter situation. 
Yeah, how much do you think Shane threw a shit fit once, like, Jeff left, and he's just, like, ripping trees out of the ground, tearing apart clouds, like, Super Saiyan-style, Super Shanin, I suppose, by just going in and being like, my god, he robbed me of an opportunity to take a shot at Terry. Okay, so I'm curious, like, I... Where, how, what do you think of Shane? Because, like, obviously, funny character. I remember talking with Omer a bit last week, you know, haha, funny, but maybe not as funny given, you know, he seems very unwell. <laughs> um, you know, so where does, how, is that something you've changed opinions on? Because it's definitely for me, as I've rewatched, I'm like, this is funny, but this man is like very unwell and treating people in a way that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it's so tough because obviously I think myself as well as a lot of people have obviously come into our own with uh, our own battles with mental health, especially since I was 16 years old where I didn't even know what that meant. And so on paper, yeah, I definitely agree watching things like this or like people have anxiety attacks on television. It's like, this is something I would not want to wish on anybody for their own well-being. And it's clear, despite the boneheaded decision that Shane made to quit smoking shortly before (laughs) going out there, it's clear that like his body is having a really tough time and it's wreaking havoc on his mind. Now that being said, however, (laughs) he is funny as fuck. He is so good. I mean, he really is one of like the Mount Rushmore survivor cartoon character characters. Mm -hmm. The ones that like are not necessarily known for, okay, they're a, they're a witty sense of humor. These are more so the, I can't believe this person actually exists. The get a load of, of this guy (laughs) type of people because Shane just has, it's not even the sound bites. It's the physical mannerisms. The fact that this man is built like a bow that he (laughs) like hunches out. That's his resting pose is for him to just like, I know Bruce's back is in absolute like agony. I'm surprised Shane isn't as well. I mean, he'll talk about, you know, hoisting Suri on his back in a very unflattering statement later Mm -hmm. on. But like the fact that his, Status quo is him standing there and like pooching out his belly for whatever reason, like he's some sort of cartoon bear after digging his hand into a beehive. I find absolutely indelible. I mean, this is what you want in reality TV casting where like he says what's on his mind. There is no filter, like there are none on the cigarettes that he is not smoking. Uh, and I adore that because when Shane speaks his mind, other people will respond in kind to him speaking his mind. And it leads to these fantastic conflicts. I mean, Shane is, I think, one of the most like stark, honest people on the show as well. He'll be incredibly hurt in this episode that he had this vision of himself as the one running things behind the scenes, only for all that to fall apart in so many ways. And so I really love seeing that, that this isn't a guy I would say that is approaching the game as simply as Terry is, you know, he's making these coalitions, he's trying to play the game from his vantage point, but his personality is always allowing him to trip every time he makes a step, and it is so much fun to watch. Now, here is my hot take. I am devastated, of course, in the moment in 2015 that Shane was not given a second chance. But honestly, I look back on this and I'm like, I kind of love Shane and Dana. Shane as a one and done character. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it would have been great. You know, he was in the mix for Heroes vs. Villains. It would have been great to see him and Danielle again. But like Shane on his own, I, it's it's he's obviously I'm sure would have been entertaining on on second chances. But it is so much the chemistry of Kasaya 
like designed to make him get to the point he gets to like the Shane Daniel Courtney trio I think is so underrated in terms of the way they rile each other up uh just at the very top of this episode where like Shane Danielle are having like a pretty like you know good where we're gonna be the first tribe to stick together all the way to the end first of all that's not true no I was gonna say Shane I guess clearly did not see like any of the first 10 seasons but we'll let that aside it's like we're doing great and then a pot of food gets knocked over and just Courtney and Danielle start yelling at each other for it's I don't know why it happened and like that is like the chaos triplets i could say a pot of beans tips over and i think courtney is yelling like because she has like a buff in her hands as a pot holder and she like needs someone to help her and so she's like danielle please help me danielle can't find something to help her head it's a literal miscommunication but it's been done at a volume of 11 where they are just prattling at one another that's the thing there is like no quiet knob the volume knob is broken on this amp with these three people in particular and it's incredible we're going to get this very nicely staged scene later on where it's shane talking with aris and danielle talking with sari and honestly i'm very surprised that despite being four feet away from each other they're not overhearing (laughs) the other side of the conversation because they have no definition of the word subtle in so many ways i'm so excited that scene that scene's incredible just the whole the another thing I love about this episode that I think from the reason why I think for me it's so high up beyond just the funniness it's just such an unconventional survivor episode in terms of the rhythm of the episode and yes, like the, main, yes. the, the main beats I mean obviously we get the reward challenge but we have the medevac and then shitty apartment and then we find out you know like Bruce you know like is not going to be there but we also have all this like just tension and it doesn't build to anything. And, and it's different from other medevacs, I feel, where there's like a medevac and no tribal. It just feels different. There's never there's never a build to what a vote might happen. It's all set up for what is to come and what has an all payoff for what has been going on with this group. Yeah, the alone exception, I would say, is actually the last pre-merge episode of Survivor 44, which has a similar thing, yes. right? Where it's medevac happens, there's all this build. That happens in the pre-merge, of that course. So there cool. is So there still is that thing. But I totally agree. And it's interesting. I came onto the podcast that week being like, this was my favorite episode of the season. And people were like, I don't know. I still want a perfect episode of Survivor to have a tribal at the end. I understand that. And I feel like if that's the case, it does feel like a bit of a combo breaker. But to me, I think it invites so much unconventional storytelling. Like not only was there no tribal council, there was no immunity challenge. So that's also, despite the fact that challenges last shorter in old school survivor, that's also another what, like seven minutes you can give back. And just to think that for many reasons, if we had an immunity challenge, if we had tribal council, maybe we don't get shitty apartment. Maybe we don't get, again, this sort of like double date scenario or grease uh, on steroids. Tell me more. Tell me more about the spa date. And so I think it was, you know, necessity being the mother of invention. They had to tell this in a brand new way because this wasn't like a, you know, Australian outback. Hugh shall not be named situation where it happens (laughs) at the very end of this episode. This is something that happens basically halfway. But I love the fact that we went a bit unconventional and the show said, Let's keep going along like it's a normal episode because everyone else is. Yeah, exactly. It's it's for me, I think what makes it such a unique episode and it's one I like to return to because there's just there's so few like it. And I mean, now for, I totally forgot about 44, but I remember the, the time loving that 44 episode because I I just love so- storytelling. And, and I feel like that's something I feel is miss- is absent a bit more in the mm-hmm. newer seasons of Survivor. I think that's not an uncontroversial opinion. 
Uh, but that was like, oh, we actually like we're work doing the work to keep building this conflict, but we're gonna make it pay off next episode because and mm-hmm. we're gonna like you know keep a little bit dramatic tension as to whether or not we're going to tribal or not. And that was so interesting. And and this episode too, even though as you're looking at the time, you're looking at the time run out, you know we're not getting. Uh, you know, an immunity challenge. You know, we're not getting a tribal, but it's like, okay, what are we getting? And it's no, just- the immunity challenge was who can poop? It's a school yes. thing. <laughs> Speaking of which, I love, you spoke about the Danielle, Courtney, Shane, Unholy Trinity. I love this exchange of dialogue where Bruce is obviously starting to complain about his stomach and that he's constipated. He hasn't pooped since what, like the Panamanian village feast, which was like back in the pre-merge. 10 days. And- oh my God. It was day 15. Says- Courtney says, I remember I was having constipation so bad. I thought I was having, and Danielle replies, a child, which is like, I mean, in the era of I didn't know I was pregnant, it seems more realistic, but that is wild to me of like, oh my God, did I get knocked up without realizing it? Or am I just really constipated? No, I love that too. And this was something I've seen this this season and this episode so many times. And I forgot that it's just like, I feel like every time I rewatch, there's some little thing I, I latch onto. In this episode, it was that exchange. I also wrote that down verbatim. It was, again, feels like a sitcom. Like you could just have the timing on that and then like the awkward pause and then no appendicitis. Like it was so funny. Yeah, here's the thing is that Courtney and Shane are obviously, again, like, very specific cartoon types of their specific archetype. But like, let's not forget Danielle DiLorenzo Thank is a meatball. He's a meatball. Again, like she has a personality. I know that we blanched this idea of, oh, is she really one of the top five most villainous women in Survivor history? Maybe not if you look at it from that lens, but especially after rewatching Exile Island, I was like, okay, I can understand more the call to bring her on to, especially the villain's tribe, because despite the fact that she took down Terry, she ain't no hero. She's maybe a hero <laughs> to the Kasayas, but she ain't no hero. No, thank you so much. I was fighting for my life with Omar last week because he just did not want to engage with the fact that Danielle is an amazing survivor character. You know, he he respected my opinion, but I, I was well, really- like, How can you not go with the woman who sees a guy with a tattoo on his arm that with Boston and says, ah, yeah, from Boston. Great. You're part of my tribe. And it sets apart this beautiful chain of dominoes. It's Shakespearean, Christine. She that created Kasaya. Yeah, due to a misunderstanding. If Shane did not get his son's name tattooed, or if he came up with, honestly, a more sensible name for his child, the Kasaya Alliance would not have happened because of the misinterpretation of, oh, I guess you're from Boston as well. The rest <laughs> is history. I'm damn glad he chose the name Boston because Boston Powers makes me smile every time I think about it. <laughs> so good. It's like the cellar door of names. Boston <laughs> Powers. It's just so calming. Um, so yeah, Bruce has not gone to the bathroom since day 15. We are day 25. I, okay, not to get TMI, I've had my some digestive problems in my time. I have been in a similar boat. Never for ten days, and I know they're not eating as much. But Bruce, I would like we, I would like to just draw attention how much food he's eaten because he like, he like you know he's not just on like rice and beans. He was he ate at the burger, he had the feast, he had the burgers and the yeah. fries. Like he has like I can't imagine the pain he's in. Like the fact that he's still here, it, like ten days of that, like and while eating like some food that's probably hard on his stomach because they've been eating rice, like. I, I'm impressed you made it this long. Yeah, I mean, Terry says that at the end too, right? Like a lot of us would have tapped out earlier than Bruce. I'm honestly surprised that he wasn't horking down burgers and like 
couldn't get it down his throat because it's almost like there was so much built up that it got all the way up through his digestive tract and like <laughs> sticking out of the back of his throat. It is very much like almost a block sewer pipe, right? And it's just absolute buildup on buildup. It sounds terrible. And it's one of those things that, again, doesn't translate as well to screen as something like falling into the fire or even like puncturing your knee where like it's a very clearly visible injury. This is something that is internal and it doesn't help that it's poop and that the entirety of the episode is that every time Bruce walks into camp, the topic of conversation is, have you pooped yet? (laughs) He is the main character of this camp in the worst way possible currently. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be a question later, right? Of like, who does the least around camp? And like, who says Bruce? I feel like (laughs) if Cerise says Bruce, that's like low key cutting of the man has been racked with pain for the length of a quarter of of a survivor season. Like, I think you should be pulling your weight more, my dude. He built a rock garden. They like the first, as far as I know, the first rock garden on Survivor. Let's give the man a credit. Well, listen, story. Deb attempted it for it to happen in Australia. Now, yes, yes, it didn't work. Yes, we will not forget Deb. Uh, Deb walked so uh, so Bruce could run um, and then stumble and then fall and then need to be better back because he couldn't poop. <laughs> I also forgot that, you know, Bruce is going to talk later about, like, I've had so many injuries in my life. And I forgot that doesn't the merge storyline where he, like, hits himself in the head with the machete or someone hits him in the head with Nick, the machete? Nick whacks him in the tooth and chips his tooth and, like, his lip with yeah, the so, machete. Like, perhaps that was the precursor of the Survivor Gods being like, careful, you're on borrowed time, time, buddy. <laughs> I'm not, like, I will say that was a really stupid thing to do when you watch the footage. He's, he's like... You know, he didn't deserve it, but his face was in the machete. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I've done this for 30 years. I know exactly what's happening. We should also say, Bruce, having digestive damage after, if you remember, back in episode three, when he's like forced to become a member of Kasai, is like, don't worry, we'll filter our water through t-shirts and that'll be fine. I forget. It feels a little bit of karmic retribution of like, I would imagine some parasite may have taken up residence there in Bruce's gut and the rest was history. Well, maybe that was the start of the storyline. I always thought the storyline started at the Panamanian Village Reward, but maybe it goes all the way back. Yeah, it could have been this thing where he accidentally caused his own medevac so many days later. I've been like, no, no, no. It's what should have happened, honestly, in All Stars with people drinking the like brackish, still standing <laughs> water there. Of like, yeah, don't filter water through t shirts, people. Please don't do what Bruce does. <laughs> oh my God. So they, Bruce, yes, he cannot poop, but we will circle back to that later because we have an arts and crafts challenge to get to. This is so, I do love when they do silly little things, and this sure is a silly little thing on Survivor. Yeah, this was, you know, one of the ch- coconut chup challenges. And they did this in this and in Micronesia as well. Though I think in Micronesia, mm-hmm. they decorated it for them. They was did, like yeah. These facsimiles of the straw dolls. Because we also know the theme for this season is like zombie voodoo. Haitian eleganza. voodoo, even though they're in Panama. <laughs> Central America, <laughs> you know, it's all the same. But I, I love this. I love Sari stuffing the bra, making her doll very well endowed. Otis wearing like just shraps of rags, uh, which I guess goes to show like how Otis really views himself. My favorite though, Christine, is the return of one of my favorite Survivor soundtrack moments, the pirate music. Mike, I bring this up all the time. We need it back. This is is what we need back. 
<laughs> we really need the pirate music back. And we'll get another throwback later on that we'll talk about. But I love this. To my mind, it first comes up in Panama, of course, when they have the pirate theming and they come up with it. It gets trotted out sparsely since then. And we get this here for whatever reason of like, you know, pirates, they're known for painting straw dolls of themselves. <laughs> no, it made me so happy to hear this music cue. And I know what music cue you're talking about that we'll, we'll talk about later. It's it's. I, I wish they would just randomly pull one of these out sometimes. Like, it, yeah. like you, I enjoy the music in the new era. Yeah, good stuff. It would be fun to just pull out some real deep cuts every now and again. And like, Yeah, listen, bring back the pipe. Be like that renegade DJ that like puts on the song that nobody can be heard. If someone's in the editing booth, they're like, let's slip a little pirate music into this one. People go fishing all the time. Put the pirate music in there. It naturally fits in. You can get an HD version of it. My friend Sadie, and one time... Uh, in 2019, I mean, she's done this more than once. She's like in, in a band and, and they were asked to DJ. Audrey is in this band. Hi, Audrey, if you're listening. Sorry, I keep bringing you up. But um, they like played a festival and then afterwards had to like DJ a set. And I went and it was like a completely empty bar except like me, them and like a bunch of drag queens we didn't know. And Sadie de- up through ev- like just started slowly like filtering in the Halloween theme under the songs and like fading in and out to the Halloween theme. The and she's done this. Yeah. And she's, I have a video of it off the same which is completely empty bar. And the drag queens came up and was like, who's the DJ? We love it. Like it was so great. And she's done this on more than one occasion. But that's why I'd like to see like just kind of like normal music and then just like kind of pulling up the knob on the pirate music i want to be rickrolled by the pirate music yeah i want it to just train i want the sad serene you know piano music to play when someone's like getting booted and talking about how much this means to them and then like just bring in those pirate violins a bit of da 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 Exactly. We have great ideas. Jeff, if you're listening, which I know you do, you always listen to my podcast and you agree with everything I say. Mm-hmm. Jeff, if you're listening, um, we would love to see the pirate music. But it is fun. I it's This is a fun... I mean, this challenge is iconic. And it's... Mm-hmm. This is such... I had forgotten... I knew there was drama. I had forgotten just how much open drama at the challenge there is. Like, you've got Terry so heckling good. from the benches, like, after getting voted out, eliminated from the challenge. Like, Shane. So we're going to go through... This is a challenge we have to go through, like, line by line. Because it's and, like... And listen, this challenge, this challenge needs to be a mainstay every season. Yes. Like, I know I am not necessarily giving a hot take here but it's so good this is not something you can necessarily game because everyone's taking individual surveys separately and at this point in the season we're at the final seven so like everyone certainly has opinions of each other this isn't like the coconut chop that we'll get in a future seasons where it's like okay we'll all agree to give it to this person unless you come in and say okay question one will be sari question two will be Mm -hmm. terry there's like no way to necessarily do that. And it always leads to drama, especially with the questions they choose because they love to pick it. And we've referred to it as the burn book challenge on survivor historians. I think it's just such an essential reward challenge to bring it. It can't be immunity. Cause I feel like that would be a bit too mm-hmm. much, almost making coconut chop an immunity thing, but it is such a good way to stir up drama on top of stirring up drama with the reward challenge choices. Absolutely. This is just perfect. I love this challenge. I mean, I always think back to the original coconut, like the, it also just reveals the the pecking order in so blatantly. I mean, Marquesas being the best example when you have a coconut chop challenge, like, oh, you really see who's on the bottom here. And here it's very much maybe Terry goes first, then Bruce. It's like exactly what we know is kind of the loose pecking order. And it really shakes things loose here. I feel like Courtney, God, (laughs) 
I do like feel bad for Courtney on a human level, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely incredible. And again, if you want, that's the other thing as well, is that we're obviously watching a heavily edited product. It's also interesting to get like, other people's opinions of those in the moment and how that might disagree from, again, the overall narrative, especially questions like who is mistakenly thinks they're in charge or who would you trust with your life? I remember like Kim Spradlin clutching <laughs> at her collar a bit when she gets voted that in Survivor One World. So I just think it's such a fascinating challenge to really, especially when you're in this type of situation where it's, okay, six against one, you know, David versus a slew of Goliaths. Let's find a way for these majority alliance to pick each other apart and yell at one another this is the perfect kindling to make that fire i'm kind of uh for a while i was traumatized by this challenge because when i was big into orgs on discord I, I played one where i was in a lot of control for a while and then this came up and i was the answer for nine out of 12 questions Woo! and then got voted out it was like every, who's running the game who do you want to meet in real life it was like every it could not have gone okay so positive me. and negative so at least it was a wash at the end of the day yeah like no like i slayed but like it absolutely destroyed me i got voted out with an idol in my pocket because i was too cocky to play it but um this is fun, yeah, because it's it's Kasai's the perfect group to run this with because yeah. there's there have been we, what we were talking about with Ter with the whole Terry of it all and his strategy. There were already so many existent cracks. Like Terry didn't have to create them; they were there. And this challenge just blows them wide open because Courtney. Cl it's clear Courtney doesn't realize how much people dislike her until this moment. That's why in a human level, I feel bad for her because it's just like, oh, you didn't know? Right. And that's the thing is like either she is doing a terrible job at like looking outside of her very rosy view of the world, turtle hearts and all, and like doesn't realize what people are saying <laughs> about her. Or they're really good at just keeping a game face and laughing at her behind her back. My consensus would probably be both, but leaning towards the first rather than the second. Yes. Yeah, so we'll go through. So the first one, we already mentioned this. Danielle gets voted who is the one who does the least for the tribe. We know that there's been a bit of discourse about Danielle being lazy way back on Kasaya before they even merged. But, you know, she doesn't seem too upset about that. Terry, of course, and let me Let me, uh, let me stick round. a Mercery here. I'm on Slay Mercery. Courtney <laughs> and Danielle say Bruce. They're the ones oh, who have okay. the audacity to say the man who has colon blockage is doing the least for the tribe. Maybe they thought it'd be more of a literal answer of like, yeah, he does the least for the tribe because he's injured and less so an insult to him. Okay, okay. We've cleared Suri's name. Yeah, because yeah, she gets that one right because she's one of the people that chops yes. Terry first. Yeah, because Terry. Let me, let me also say, overall, I do kind of feel like Aris was robbed in this challenge. Like, I know there's a component of the social element of getting chopped, but I'm pretty sure Aris gets like nearly every question right in this challenge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, Suri gets, like, gets the first one right and you know, obviously goes on to win. But yeah, Aris is right on the money the whole time. It just seems that they had an agreement, like, you're going to win this, which is interesting. I, I don't know part of, we didn't get to see much about, like, we didn't see that conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, like, you know, they're they're aligned. I'm wondering if Aris was just like, didn't want to be the one making choices about rewards and be the one in the hot seat and wanted that on Suri. I don't know. But yeah, it's very clear that that was agreed upon. Uh, but yeah, I, Obviously, Suri comes out as a winner on this, but I, I had forgotten it how well Aris does. It's 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 quite obvious that he's yeah. got a good read on things as well. That's the thing is that obviously we look at Suri uh, because, you know, she is such a unique character and a unique type to do well on Survivor. And she gets a lot of screen time around strategy. But 
again, there's a reason why I think Aris is in close with her. I think he does. After his little uh, faux pas with everyone put your hands in the middle and we're give good energy to the fire thing, like, I feel like he has regulated himself as the one of the most normal people in that Kasaya alliance. I've always compared him to the Michael Bluth of Kasaya <laughs> as like the one guy who had no choice but to keep his family together. And though he does have, you know, his own moments, I do feel like he is the most like on par person to deal with all these other people around him. And so I do think it makes sense that, uh, you know, he would be the one to have like a good pulse as to what everyone else is doing, as opposed to everyone else who has no idea what other people are thinking about them. Yeah, like the fact that Cor- like, obviously, Courtney is very shocked to hear that people think sh- she never shuts up, which you had like, you've had Shane tell you to shut up like multiple times, like maybe she just thought it was Shane feeling that. But, you know, she's obviously shocked by that. Shane finds out he's apparently mistakenly running the game, which is quite funny later on because then Shane, when he, like, he thinks he fixes everything with his alliance, he then says, I'm secretly controlling this alliance again. So it's clear he goes on to not learn anything from what's yeah, just happened. that is incredible that he has voted the one who mistakenly thinks they're running the game. And by the end of the episode, he thinks... Oh man, I'm doing a great job at running this game. <laughs> oh, well, I want to circle back to that because that whole conversation and what he claims about his strategy behind his meltdown is very funny. But yeah, Shane gets mistakenly running the game. Bruce gets knocked out second. Um, I love Sari just laughing in Shane's face when Courtney cuts his rope because Shane, he she cuts his rope once and then he cuts his rope again, and it's 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 game on. Like any like. This was really kind of, I think, setting up for the tensions to boil over with Shitty Apartment later. I love it. And the fact that Sari is all of us in this moment, right? Like, you have Terry and Bruce from the bench being the Statler and Waldorf, and they're probably (laughs) old enough to be those guys at this point. Like, heckling them, yelling, you know, cajoling them along of, like, it's just a game. Well, it's a helicopter game with a spa reward at the end. (laughs) But Sari, I think, is the audience analog in just openly laughing in the faces of these people as, like, they are clearly getting very hot under the collar. I think for Sari first, it's just that like jubilant personality that we love so much. And also that in some situations, things are just so awkward that all you can do is laugh. And I feel like it's the perfect mixture of that, that has the Sari giggle just come out in so many fits and starts over the course of this, despite the fact that she is standing right next to Courtney the entire time that Courtney is just absolutely being shat upon. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, Somebody wishes they were shitting upon <laughs> Courtney. I think Sari, I think part of it also is just, you, she has to, you just have to laugh at Shane. You, like for her own sanity, she can't take him seriously because like, he's just, this is just who he is. Yeah. Cause uh, we, we already had the storyline, right? Of him asking her to look at his yes. crotch and all she does is look at it and just laugh at it. Yeah. Like you kind of that's kind of the only reaction you can have to him because he just it can't it, when he's in a mood, which is he gets the easiest answer of all time is who is the moodiest Shane like when he's in a mood like you can't reason with him you just kind of have to either step away or, or just in serious yeah. case here just laugh like because it's, it's ridiculous he's being ridiculous like you know arguing with him she tries to kind of calm him down later. But you know when he's in when he's like that there's nothing you can do. And that's the other thing as well is that he has that response to Courtney. After he has voted the moodiest, which again really yes. goes to prove the point. It works so beautifully. But interestingly, I think Courtney and Aris are the only ones to get it right. Everyone else in the round, so like everyone sans Terry and Bruce vote Courtney. So maybe it's just like 
something Courtney had done lately. That was that's always interesting to me when mm-hmm. like the majority of people in the moment vote differently than the majority of people voted privately. Maybe it's that Bruce's and Terry's votes just carried so much water there. Yeah, I wonder because that was that one again, like I said, it feels like the most obvious one, but maybe they're thinking uh, because the tribe is more generally like maybe there is a, we're a lot more we hate Courtney than, you know, she is aware of. Um, and maybe it's like that was a really big topic of conversation the day before. I mean, she was the answer for everything else. So it's not a bad, um, not a bad calculation. But from what we've seen, it, it makes a lot of sense that it's Shane. Yeah. Let's get into who's the biggest poser. Yes, this is yes. so much fun. First off, the vote's proper. Aris is the only one to get this right in voting for Courtney. Everyone else votes for either Shane or Bruce. Shane votes for himself, which is, again, an odd level of introspection. I would understand why he says he's the moodiest. I would not understand if he voted himself the biggest poser. Now, what does Mike, Shane think he's posing as? You just talked about the way he stands. He yeah, thinks you're talking about the way he stands. He does pose. The, yeah, exactly. the listeners can't see, but I'm trying to like mimic the way he stands. Yeah, maybe he just thought they're talking about p- posing, like, you know, striking that could the be it. He could have Amelia Bedelia did and talked about it more <laughs> literally. No, it is. It is. I mean, this is such a weird one um, that it's kind of like maybe it's just one where we're like, you, it's really hard to predict what people will say because, like, no, you're not talking about who's the poser. You might be talking about who's the most annoying, who's running the game, who isn't. Mm hmm. But you're not talking about who a poser is. And apparently, Courtney didn't even know what a poser was. So, you know, God knows what uh, she wrote down. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Just a fantastically sassy moment from Jeff Probst that, again, I miss in the modern day era. I miss snarky Jeff Probst. It's tough because we've seen things like, you know, him make a comment to Carolyn about, like, uh, oh, you know, uh, you should get more sleep. And then just absolutely. And she cleared it. him. Yeah. And that, which is like, Fine. I don't think it should have lit the internet on fire with people being like, cancel Jeff Probst. What the <laughs> hell? Like, because Jeff Probst makes snarky comments like this all the time. Like, Courtney asking, what is a poser? Jeff just replies, deadpan. The answer to what a poser is, is you. And we talked about um last episode with Omer. Like, he just, Jeff is like openly hostile towards Danielle at Tribal Council, like, just like roasting her about the Terry situation for like really calling attention. That's what Jeff does. Like, he's not. <laughs> an impartial host he very much this is even before his you know shifting more towards producer jeff and his yeah where it becomes less of like an overseeing host and more of like an overseeing host with an agenda with a message yeah, yeah. so maybe that's why like in these older seasons it, it hits a bit different for people because it's like now we blame jeff for everything uh, whether it's his fault or not uh, yeah and it could also just be a reaction to the timbre of the room as well like if the room is punchy you get a little punchier maybe and he's like this is a goofy bunch of people so let me be as snarky to them as i want to be yeah i think that's fair i think it would have been odd if he didn't didn't you know get a little jab in because it's just so openly hostile in here <laughs> The interesting one. Oh, I also love Aris being, Aris being like, guys, let's rise above it. That's another yeah. great like, Aris, like, hands over the fire moment. <laughs> I love that he's like, uh, you know, we need to, this game is meant to divide us. Like, it's wild that he's like, this reward challenge, John Kierhofer is sowing discord amongst us. We need to be better than John Kierhofer. We need to be united in the face of this tidal wave coming our way. Again, it speaks to what Aris is attempting to do and is failing at multiple times. I mean, I guess he's very happy that Shane is just so bonded with his son that as he complained about earlier in the season, like he can't betray them because he swore on his son's name. 
Otherwise, like, Shane would have been gone. Either oh, yeah. voted out or gone from this alliance, like, days, weeks, before Bruce couldn't poop. Shane <laughs> would have been gone at this point. And so, yeah, I love Ars just being like, now everybody, give Peace a chance, which maybe he should have been voted his biggest poser, just from that statement alone. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> and the next, the other weird question, it's not weird, it's just like, I don't think they've seen them do this on other, you know, touchy subjects challenges, is who most easily succumbs to intimidation? We go from like, who's the biggest poser to who most easily succumbs to intimidation? And it's apparently yeah, but, also Courtney. <laughs> but what's incredible about this, Christine, is that Courtney initially settles on herself but perhaps <laughs> succumbing to intimidation, she changes her answer. And then that proves the point. It is so very true. So good. And then it's followed up immediately by who's the most annoying person. They just cut right to the jugular. <laughs> no, this one is so funny. They like, what is a poser? Like the, the bam, bam, bam of poser succumbs to intimidation to most annoying person. Like it just gets e worse and worse and worse because she doesn't even know what a poser is. Intimidation. Okay. She kind of sues herself in the foot there and just straight up just insult. Like there is absolutely no way you could read this as a good thing. Yeah. And by that point, also, everyone's gotten on the same page. Like we should note that one of the most unified answers <laughs> is the most annoying person out there. Everyone answers Courtney because it comes again right after this string and everyone's like, okay, we get it now. Bad question equals Courtney. Courtney. Maybe with Shane, like a 15% chance of Shane, but it's usually Courtney that everyone but Courtney, who still has not gotten the hint, gets it right <laughs> in that moment. And uh, despite being called annoying, Jeff calls out that Courtney's very annoyed right now. Uh, she's like, oh yeah, I'm the right answer for everything. Great. Feels really great right now. Yeah, and then she gets out and and she's like, well, I'm still going to be the answer even if I'm out of the game. So like, it's just, it's just this is some of the most like talk we get at a reward challenge, I think, like ever in terms of yeah. like from the bench, from the people in the game to the people on the bench, the people in the game to each other. It's just great stuff. Yeah. And also, though, bring some interesting strategy in here. Listen, I don't want to go back to uh, Stanland, but it reminds me of a scene from one of the first individual reward challenges in Survivor Thailand where they like run an obstacle course. And there's this final stage where like Brian has the choice to bring one person over the wall with him and he chooses Clay. Like it's a very tough moment when you have someone's life in your hands on this reward and you can choose, OK, do I chop Shane? Or do I chop Aris? And it's obviously mm -hmm. going to produce a very tense several moments from Shane later on, including on this bench right now. But it's a it's a big moment that it's not just Sari. Sari can't come up with an excuse, right? She can't be like Aris saying, I'm going to chop Danielle first so that you can't get me back. You'll be eliminated. Sari has to basically make mm -hmm. a Sophie's choice in this moment. But one of her children is a uh, chain-smoking, foul-mouthed, you know, irascible Shane. Yeah, it's just, it's, I feel like she made the a good call. Obviously, she trusts Aris more. This is an opportunity for her to work with Aris more. She just put herself in a situation where she had to do more damage control. Like, but with someone who, as we see by the end of the episode, can very easily be tricked into thinking they're in a good position. Whereas with Aris, he might have taken that, I think, more, like... I think it was better the better choice to preserve the relationship with Aris because that's actual actually a workable relationship with someone who is half sane. Whereas Shane, you can just say what you need to say. And as we see yeah. in the episode, it's fine. It's, it's, it's ironic. uncomfortable, but it, it's fine. 
It's ironic because you would say on paper, if you have the more stable ally and the less stable ally, mm -hmm. take the less stable ally with you because the more stable ally, you can reassure back at camp. No, you understand why we did this. We had to like divide and conquer here. But here she takes from a personality perspective, the more stable ally in Aris. And she's going to say later on, oh, I brought the people that would be fun. Though We'll talk about this with the Danielle choice, that there was some strategy behind it. And Shane, maybe she thought that Shane would like legit be so in her corner. I mean, we should also note here that this is not the big problem that Shane has with Suri. He's a little tiffed in the moment that she ends up chopping his rope to the point that he like throws his pad in the air out of, you know, pure frustration. But he's going to vocalize her to her later on. No, picking Aris wasn't the problem. It was picking Danielle. Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, so he starts openly arguing with Suri. And, you know, he's like, I'm just having an emotional reaction. But yeah, it's after, you know, they actually choose who's going where. Suri gets the final question right. She says herself, Aris says Terry, which is, as I said, I think it was him throwing the challenge and getting shade, you know, getting to throw shade at Terry for, you know, being Terry. Yeah, so do you do you think that happened, that Terry calls him out on it and he denies it, that you think that's actually true? I think it is. Like, I mean, I go back and forth. Like, maybe he, like, on the one hand, I could see what, why choosing Terry here would be a logical answer because you're thinking, okay, we're all Kasaya. We're going to say we're, it's the person who, like, you know, is alone in the game, who has no allies. Like, but to me, it just feels more obvious that he was just you know giving it to Sari knowing she'd pick him and he doesn't have to be in the hot seat yeah because also the question is such a slam dunk they yeah. end on of all things who wouldn't survive on their own basically yeah and you go to the woman who's afraid of leaves, leaves. who has like i i'm so surprised that it took Sari even a millisecond for her to debate that it wouldn't be mm -hmm. her i mean maybe again there's like some rising irascibility of danielle does nothing around camp but yeah, this felt like a, obviously a pot shot at Terry that Aris is like really trying to excuse off as like, no, you won't survive on your own. Maybe he was trying to use the excuse of, well, you've been to Exile Island so many times. But wouldn't that prove the opposite logic that he could live on his own a good amount of times? Yeah, exactly. It's I could see like half a half logical way to get there, but it doesn't hold up. So that's why I feel like it has to be him just knowing Suri would take him and he gets to sit back and go on reward. So we should also note here, this is so far the only individual challenge that Suri Fields has won in her Survivor career. Mike Bloom, you beat me to it. I had it written down <laughs> too. I was like, Mike, there did you know this? <laughs> yes, and, it's, and I was, yeah, the only individual challenge, but maybe she'll be back. Um, and so yeah. she'll go on a challenge uh, immunity and reward streak. Who knows? But yeah, the, the first and only. Yeah, again, which proves another reason why, like, I love this challenge is it does feel a bit more equal opportunity. You know, I do miss the trivia challenges as well that, yes, they're literally more stationary of just standing in a place and rotating a block around. But I mean, we've had these memory challenges. We now have the sit and stand in one place and hold something up endurance challenges. People are fine with being stationary in survivor challenges. So I like bringing this back for a myriad of reasons. And who knows? You know, we're recording this basically a week before the episode is coming out. For all we know, Sari could have won HOH, Veto, and then some on Big Brother in the time since we recorded this. God, I I, I hope to watch it on Twitter. I hope to see the, B, the BB updates tweet. Sari has won HOH at like three in the morning. Um, that's how I watch the show. <laughs> that's such a trippy sentence that I don't think any of us would have thought we'd see no. even in what, June of 2023? No. 
Honestly, yeah. What a, wor- what a world we live in. And it still didn't get me to watch Big Brother, but I will perceive it a little more than usual. Um, I've listened. I've tried. I'm just, you know, how, like some people like what's the mid, what's the herb they, that tastes like weird. Oh, cilantro. 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 And like the, the, it depends on your genes. I feel like I have the gene, like no matter what I do, I just can't. I've, I've tried to watch it like so many times. I can't. And it's not for me. <laughs> Yeah, even in a case here where people are certainly dipping their toes in after hearing that Sari was on, I respect it, honestly. I respect it to be like, this isn't for me. Listen, the content's drying up, but there's still so much content out there that like everything doesn't need to be for everybody. It's okay. And especially you could watch Twitter from a uh, big brother from afar on social media and like like the rest of us balk at like how absolutely bananas this show can be sometimes. <laughs> so Sari wins. They obviously have to send Terry to Exile Island. Like, she's like, you're not Kasaya. I can't send you. He can't even be mad. Like, he's just, he knew that was ha- going to happen. And then she picks Aris because they've agreed on it. And then, as you mentioned, Danielle, that's the real sticker. This is Shane just starts openly arguing. Sari says she's made the wrong call by taking Danielle with her. Just surreal stuff. Um, And Shane's disbelief that Sari and Danielle are close is so funny to me because like, what did he think was happening in the Bob dog vote? Like, like what the, he was like, so burnt, so upset by that. Even though Sari, Danielle and Courtney were the ones f- who put that vote together and tried to loop him in on it and he wouldn't do it. Like, what did you think was happening there? Yeah. I mean, that was a while ago it was before, while Bruce could still poop. So maybe he's like, what have you done for me lately? I mean, what he's surprised by is like, oh, we made a promise. And Sari says, yeah, but Danielle made it first. And I think that's a good excuse on her part yeah. to be like, well, RS, I made the promise on day one, but it's not flying with Shane. I also love the moment, another great Danielle moment where Shane is like foaming at the mouth, kicking the dirt, muttering, we talked about this. And then he says openly, you made the wrong call. And Danielle just goes, thanks. Yes, Danielle's so good. I'm, and- like I'm right here. And you're saying that you made the wrong call by bringing me to the spa. Really appreciate that, Shane. I really wish Danielle had just like let go of the last like self-respect she had and just like fully argued with with Shane here. That would have made this scene even better here. But I respect her just, you know, taking that taking the high road and, and yeah, saying exactly. thanks. And- <laughs> he went low and she went very high. In fact, yeah. they're going high in a helicopter. Yes, so way, way up into the sky. I I love Another thing I love about this episode is just it's a story of contrasts. Like we have the reward people having the greatest night of their lives. And in French, there's an expression de salle des ambiances, like two rooms, <laughs> two ambiances. It's also like one room, what two ambiances. Like I don't even know like what the actual meaning is, but I've seen people use like what the origin of that phrase is. But it's like it makes me think of this, like just the the ambiance could not be more different. <laughs> I love it. One of my favorite editing choices in Survivor history is when we'll get to Bruce moaning in pain in the shelter, cutting to Sari moaning in ecstasy on the massage table. It's so brutal. It is so, so good. So listen, I'm going to spoil something from the future of this season. So if you are happening to watch this season for the first time, you don't want to, you know, be uh, clued into this, feel free to tune out for the next two minutes. But I love, Christine, that these are going to be the three people who choose to like pretty much go ride or die for the rest of the game, right? Until they're forced to turn on one another. That these are going to be the three in the infamous 3-2-1 vote as soon as next episode. And I gotta feel like, in retrospect, the seeds were very much planted during this spot trip. 
Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. This is, I mean, we talk about like critical rewards and, and it's really when we get down to the final seven and final six where these rewards become, can become so critical. I mean, the David versus Goliath, you know, that final three on the family visit. I mean, obviously they were previously on a tribe together, but that- Yeah, Game game Changers also made like an outright final three deal. Like those yeah. final six lunches for a good portion of time were like, okay, this is when we're making that deal. And this is why, again, individual reward challenges are awesome. Bring it back, please. We mm -hmm. want to see people make these decisions. That's strategically using it, Jeff Probst. <laughs> Jeff, I know you're still listening. Listen to us, please. No, it's, it's and this is such a, such a, arguably so far the best reward of the season in terms of like luxury. It just, the vibes are so good. And these were three people who are already working together but it really gives them, we haven't seen, we've seen a lot of Serene Danielle. We've seen a lot of Serene Aris, but we haven't seen a lot of Serene Danielle and Aris. We certainly haven't seen a lot of Danielle and Aris. Um, and this just really allows them, especially being removed from the chaos of Shane and Courtney and Bruce to an extent. Bruce is just kind of there. He's not, <laughs> Bruce is not so much chaotic. He's just like a wacky guy who's there. <laughs> But it allows them to have like a normal game conversation in if like in a where no one's worried about upsetting someone or getting yeah. in an argument with someone. And there's that that's there's a lot to be said there of just being able to talk. Exactly. It feels like almost leaving the kids at home and like going out to eat as parents. Right? And boy, like, do the kids get up to some stuff while they're gone. <laughs> oh my god, they come back and like one of the kids is missing. The other two are threatening to kill each other. Uh, it's it's really nice. And there's some fun stuff here on the reward as well, uh, where you know Suri's like, yeah, I don't know if anyone's gonna like me when I come back. And ours goes, I like you. And Danielle goes, I love you. Uh, it, it's very fun. Uh, it's like your typical reward stuff, right? Of like they overindulge. You know, they love massages, though. Poor Danielle just gets if she didn't get torn up by Shane's words, she got torn up by these masseuses hands. She purposely chose the guy with the roughest monos. Oh, my God. Yeah, she she is like Sari is just laughing at this. And she's like, Danielle's like, you know, I'm I'm like my massage is a little lighter. <laughs> you know, she's clearly not prepared for what an actual massage is. Yeah. It's like saying, oh, I want my first earthquake to be like a Richter nine scale, you know, of like she said she never had a professional massage before. So she's like, give me the hardest one you've got. Put me on hard mode. <laughs> and then we'll we'll jump back to what's going on because I at the same time. But then at the dinner when I forgot about Aris psychoanalyzing Courtney, he's like, Courtney just wants to be wanted. And it's like. Well, not only that, them <laughs> shipping Courtney and Shane. Oh my god! Minutes before he's like, "I'm gonna go to your apartment and murder you, you and give birth to my club, and that'll be it." She's like, "Well, at least you're bringing me somewhere." You know, it's like the worst Mary with Children reboot I've ever seen. How many legit death threats have there been on Survivor? Is this this can't I mean, be the only to, one? Not to their faces. Yeah, you know? like I'm sure it's one of these things where if someone pisses you off behind their back, they're like, "I'm gonna kill that person." Yeah, not to your face. If you go against your word, when we get back, not even here, not even now, because that I think would be like a bit too much grounds for expulsion of like bodily threatening someone. The Rupert did threaten to, you know, strangle that snake motherfucker John yes, one, yes. one time when the pyro music was. Yeah, so so I I, I think that uh, it's the audacity of someone to say, all right, this is a promise. And if you break your promise, it's not going to be now. But soon, when we go back to the mainland, I will murder you. Am I making... Does Big Tom threaten to kill Rob in his all-star speech? Oh, I it's don't really know. It's really aggressive, but I don't remember how violent it gets. 
I mean, I think that was very much washed over by don't be stupid, stupid. But yeah, yeah I'll, have to, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, back to the everything going on before shitty apartment. While they're having the best time of their lives, we go back to Kasaya and Shane, Courtney's, Courtney's like, I'm upset. And Shane's like, what? Like, he's like acting like shocked that she's upset. And then he's like, I think you're personalizing a lot of it, which is so fucking rich coming from this dude who just threw a fucking fit because he didn't get to go on a reward. It's amazing. These people are in just shards of glass houses at this point. It's not <laughs> even a house. They're sleeping on broken glass because the fact that these two are just accusing them accusing each other of like what they're also guilty of is absolutely incredible uh and like when courtney is like uh, i don't care about you know sari aris and Danielle off together i care about the game and what you said about me and shane's like oh you do and she goes are you kidding me <laughs> i was the most annoying i was succumb the most to intimidation it's uh amazing and then shane uses it as an opportunity to still bag on courtney and say well, the common voice of the tribe dictated that all these things are true about you. So what does that say about you? No, of course, I am not mistakenly running the game. That's the one thing the common not voice true. of the tribe was wrong about. <laughs> no, and then like that, this is all happening. And meanwhile, Bruce is just writhing in pain. Like these two, again, the two worst people. That's the, other, the fucking brilliant thing about the, this makeup of this episode is the two yeah. worst people to be with someone in crisis are <sighs> Shane and Courtney. And he's like literally writhing in pain <laughs> it's amazing not only of the frame shot of them taking like the bruce placard from the challenge and hanging it up next to like assumingly his sleeping spot so we have a reminder of who bruce is but at the same time shane having this like confessional about him showing some like legitimate care for bruce right being like oh well bruce for once isn't just you know spouting up his mouth complaining for no reason this might actually be something for much i need him to be better but the shot is of Shane with his crotch entirely blurred out. Now, this will be far from the last time we will be dealing with this dichotomy, but the fact that this is a guy trying to, like, show empathy towards one of his fellow players while the entire time his junk is just out for all America to view. It's quite incredible, yes. This is the meat of the episode. This is... Like every frame of this scene is like a Renaissance painting level I mean, survivor shot. Legitimately, Christine, there is a shot later on that closes out this like third act or whatever it is of the boat in the background carrying off Bruce and Shane in the foreground standing head stooped down like Charlie Brown at the end of one of his many misadventures. And he is buck ass naked. I am being completely serious. I would commission somebody to paint that for me. I think it is one of my favorite shots in Survivor history because it represents everything that is immaculate about this episode. The stark sobriety of this medical evacuation, the second one in Survivor history, we should mention, the second mm -hmm. one in 12 seasons, very rarely seen, with just in the foreground, this man very clearly upset, but also he is completely naked. <laughs> Oh my god, no, it's such a beautiful shot. And it's like, it's again, you couldn't write this like, it would be if you were in a writer's be like, oh, it's ridiculous. Why would why wouldn't he just put his pants on? It's like, it's a it, shame. We're getting ahead of ourselves. First, we're talking <laughs> no, about Courtney, Courtney singing. Okay, this is Oh my god. This is so funny. It just is like, can I sing you a song? Will that help? No. 
she starts singing. <laughs> and I looked it up and I think she's singing the song Take Me Away by Lifehouse, which yeah, is really wondering. funny. I was wondering from the first line if we could like have uh could we beat Shazam? What was she singing in this opening line? I think so. It's hard to tell because she doesn't sound like she's singing very much in tune or in rhythm. But I I looked up and this would make sense for like her age at the time. This would be a song that like when she was a little younger, like this was like came out like just maybe a couple years before Panama. Um, it it tracks and like I believe she was maybe a Lifehouse girly. I was going to say, are the younger women typical Lifehouse people? This would be a question that Jeff Probst would ask. Like, so as a younger woman, do you listen to Lifehouse? Lifehouse? In the early 2000s, I think they did. So I think that's what she's singing. And he just says, stop. I love the fact that, yeah, he literally says no. That this is a man who is essentially in like hospice care in the worst moments of his life. She follows it up by saying, well, surely my melodious tones will get you back into kind spirits. And Bruce says, no, but she still keeps going. And she says, no, keep singing. Okay, Brucey, you've got it. And the fact that he just replies with, don't. Again, it's unfortunate because he's obviously so just absolutely, you know, convulsing with pain and agony that he can only say don't, but also it is so succinct and again, so deadpan that it is so freaking funny. It's like, honestly, Courtney is like almost the, uh, the HBO version of Phoebe from friends of like that character and add a little bit of more like not safe for TV oddball elements to it. That is even weird for Phoebe herself. And that's what Courtney is. Courtney was one second away from singing smelly cat to Bruce as he was trying to poop. And it needs to be stated, Bruce does not like Courtney. He like no. this is like his least favorite person in the game because she yeah. wa- did yoga in his rock garden, <laughs> which like will be so good, <laughs> so good later on. Yes. I cannot wait for the desecration of Bruce's rock garden by the coward Courtney Barrett. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just again perfect. They call the mag- medics. It's like again we're laughing, but Bruce is having like what, probably the worst night of his life up until this point. I, yeah, I will see one of them. It's actually pretty scary when you get like, first off, what doesn't help this situation, and I love the Aussies for many reasons. My best friend is an Australian, but we talk (laughs) about this on Australians, uh, Survivor Historians. The fact that the doctor they bring in is like, all right, let's get a a book on you now. Uh, Like he literally leaves the shelter and be like, we'll be back in two shakes. Like Bruce is in misery and he's surrounded by clowns just coming one right after the other out of the car like okay finally some nice medical attention he's like howdy doody how you doing today bro say ah so your pope is a little busted uh like the fact that he comes in with this spirit i understand uh you know bedside manner but this almost feels like veering into the complete other direction of like please treat this seriously i know it's poop we're all having a good laugh but I'm in a lot of pain. And then Bruce is like, vis- vis- it's visibly shaking and moaning. Yeah. Courtney's like, Courtney's like, you getting any better? <laughs> that was incredible. And I'm sure it wasn't that exact length of time, but the way it's cut is so good that Bruce is just like somehow even gotten worse since they came in. Maybe it's because like the, the medicine, the painkillers that he was being given, like almost unlocked a new zone of it. But Courtney. <laughs> leading in doing the are you winning son meme (laughs) is so good because again just shows how incredibly oblivious she is but then we get to the fact that again like for tv's sake 
this Australian doctor can't just talk to the cameras. And now it's oh, substituted no. with now it's substituted with Jeff Probes coming in, like the doctor giving the narrative mm-hmm. here. In this case, there's a lot to choose from, I suppose. Most <laughs> of them are inanimate, the good choices. So he goes to Shade and is like, all right, listen, uh, Eddie Port in a storm, here's the situation. Like, it might be his colon. We're not entirely sure. We're going to have to take him away. Uh, and <laughs> Shane replies with, do we have to do this right this second? <laughs> that is, I, this was one of the little moments from this I've forgotten about since the last time I watched it. Like he said, like he, and I know he's saying that cause he's not wearing pants, but it's such like, yes. Like if it, like this man is writhing and shaking and groaning and like, you, like there's a doctor here at like the middle of the night. Like, yes, it's, it's a bit urgent. I love it because it also, again, speaks to this is why I keep going back to like arrest development is because like these people are the worst as well. <laughs> and so Shade coming in with like, oh, listen, I know Bruce may die if he doesn't get medical treatment in a cat scan, but also I don't have any pants on. Also, like right this second doesn't necessarily mean I imagine right this second. OK, make a beeline immediately for Bruce. So what happens next is almost indescribable. So Aussie doctor comes back, nails in like, all right, Brucey Ducey. Oh, shouldn't call you Brucey Ducey. Yeah, yeah, that's a stinker. <laughs> Literally not. We're going to get you on the stretcher. Shane approaches, comes in from the foreground and replies, sorry, guys, I'm naked. If anybody has a problem with that. And God, Christine, what a brilliant Chekhov's set of pants set in a previous episode where because Shane experienced chafing, He's having a lot of problem with his underwear, with his pants. And honestly, in a moment that feels the most equivalent to something out of the office, Shane looks apparently down the barrel of the camera (laughs) and says like, can't sleep in wet pants. That's why I'm naked right now. But you can put them on for five seconds to carry a man on a stretcher. It's like he's like- It can be slightly unpleasant to not risk the idea of this poor constipated man having your balls dangle in front of his face. But no, no, he cannot have chafing. He's he's like, we have to do this right this moment. I cannot be chafed, so I will be simply be naked. Like it's it's such a choice. I had forgotten that his pants were right there. Like it's he truly could have just thrown them on and and suffered for two minutes. But no, no, no. It it ha- it has to happen. <laughs> and so it leads to again like a fantastic representation of the situation that here is Bruce second medevac in Survivor history. And the music choice is a very, if we're talking about deep cuts. The Jenna Maraska. Yeah, the, 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 the pirate music is a very deep cut, but it's been used sparingly. The piano music that plays has been used incredibly rarely. For those that don't know, it's popped up one other time in Survivor history before this, during arguably one of the saddest moments in the show's history, where Jenna Maraska chooses to quit the game because her mother is dying from cancer and she felt in that moment she had to go back and be with her. And this is, it's this incredibly moving sequence with like this beautiful postscript. And now it is being used for a man who cannot poop being carried out in traction. One quarter of the pallbearers being completely naked. It's so it's when, if you're, a big fan of the show and you recognize the music. It's such a funny moment. Like when you like, it's for the real heads. Like remember like the previous, like one of the most like true, like it's saddest, like bringing you back to reality of like what, re- the, what really matters. And like, 
Bruce pooping matters, but I just think it was a bit, <laughs> it's a bit dramatic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. again, he's not, he's not well, but it's, it's a lot. And especially because, again, it would all be fine. Like, you get a little chuckle out of, oh, he can't poop. Like, it's funny that we're using the music for this. But the fact that it's Shane blurred out larger than Bruce's body, the entire lower body that is just blocked up is a smaller blur than Shane's junk at this point. Be like, all right, Bruce, you're going to be better, buddy. Don't you worry. Just imagine, again, if there is a serious medical drama imagine if you were hospitalized for some sort of bad medical condition and the doctor is wheeling you down the er you know like the typical situation of like check his vital signs we got to get him into surgery and one of the doctors is just naked (laughs) you're gonna raise some eyebrows at a certain point and i know that shane tried to explain it away but i would imagine we didn't get to see the faces of the medical crew i am sure they are just keeping their heads down saying there is not enough beer in the world to get me to forget what I've experienced the past three hours. No, it's, it is incredible. Again, you could not write this. Like, if you wrote it, it would be too absurd. But it is Kasaya. It is Shane and Courtney. And again, if one thing would be different, if someone else had won reward and Sari had been at camp, this would have just been like a completely different scene. Like, this would not, like, if, you know, if, if the nurse was there, this, and like maybe one of Shane and Courtney or both of Shane and Courtney were on reward, I don't see a universe where they both end up on reward together. But it's just like the, the alchemy of this, this, trio is so perfect mm-hmm. where just one little thing had been different i don't think this would have been as memorable as it would have been medevac i can say with confidence it would not have been listen i'm willing to have a lot of bad things happen and a lot of tragic characters lose on survivor if it means getting the perfect set of stars in this constellation to form in this moment because i totally agree having this be the two most ill-equipped people to handle a legitimate titular medical emergency is one of the funniest things I could ever imagine. And also, let's go back to the dinner for a hot second on the reward. They talk about Shane and Courtney are going to be arguing all night, and poor Bruce has to be in the middle there. And what happens, Christine, when you take away the middle piece? (laughs) They just start arguing. (laughs) Yeah, so Bruce is sent off. He's sent off to be evaluated. At this point, they don't know if he's coming back. That's the question in the air and the next day. I mean, Terry's on exile. We don't need to talk about it. He's just like, I'm going to beat them. (laughs) Yeah, and I think Um, this is maybe the first time that they don't show a scene on exile, which they'll do much more in like Cook Islands when it's like, yeah, we already know somebody has the idol. So like they're not necessarily doing anything. Oh, no, we're going to have a scene of Terry. Never mind. Yeah, he's just stretching. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, being like, oh, well, I'm happy that these people were divided in more ways than one. But God, if you couldn't love Courtney Merritt enough, her choice of words is just... (sighs) I've also written this down. <laughs> Hemingway asked to, to quote Sheehan here as she talks about how Bruce, she had a bad day yesterday, but Bruce Biddy Medivac was the icing and the cherry and the hot fudge on top of my pretty poo poo day. Courtney, it hasn't even been 12 hours since he left. Like, you couldn't have <laughs> picked some, some other word. I mean, this is her in a nutshell, right? Just a complete lack of awareness that a man is possibly dying because he can't poop. And she feels like the perfect word to describe it is, I feel like I should be saying poo-poo. I don't know why. When the prefix of that is, do not say the words poo-poo, Courtney. That's what her brain is telling her. Like, say literally any other <laughs> other words. But she says it anyway, and she has no shame. And you know what? We Courtney is a one-of-a-kind Survivor character. I feel like it's hard for me to like think of someone else who is quite as 
socially inept, quite as convinced she's a real game player and is serious about the game, someone who cannot let an argument end, someone who's easily offended. Like, she is just everything to me. And this is the scene. This is, this is it. This is, wow. As we said, one of the few, if not very, very few, at least, uh, death threats on Survivor. And it starts out, it should be noted that this starts with Shane and Courtney like making a deal to work together. And Shane is openly insulting her as he does. He's like, do you want to, yeah, like you got my back. I don't want you to freak out and be like crazy or anything. So it's already funny because he's like, trying to make a deal with someone and actively insulting the person he's trying to make a deal with. And then she says something which I think is pretty reasonable is, you know, let's keep this between the two of us. And maybe maybe it doesn't need, maybe it doesn't need to be said, but you know, it's not ridiculous. And then Shane says, if you don't, I'll kill you when I get back to Hollywood. I'll drive up and I'll kill you in your shitty little apartment and that'll be it and I'll go back to my club. And then she replies, "Oh, that'll be really nice. I don't have a shitty apartment." <laughs> Again, like, this is a joke you see in a 30 Rock script of, like, she took the wrong word from that sentence. That the only thing she fixated on, she tuned out. It's like community, right? Of I can excuse racism, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. You excuse racism? You're okay, Courtney, with this man murdering you and apparently taking you back to his, quote, club? Which, can we dive a bit further into this? I'm Shane a little has worried. A, Shane has a club? <laughs> I'm a little concerned. A club in LA um, owned by Shane sounds like the scariest place you could possibly go. I don't want to assume he he manages it poorly, but I'm a, I would like to hear more about this for sure. This is a plot point I would like to know more about. No, I really hope that, like his son, it's Austin Powers themed. And it's like one of those <laughs> go-go clubs with the dancers in the cages where it's like, no, I'll take you back. We'll have a fun time. Instead, it more so sounds like out of The Sopranos where he'll murder her. But obviously, don't leave the body in the apartment. Take it back to his club where it'll be <laughs> incinerated? I'm not entirely sure what the future steps are here for you, buddy. It doesn't matter to Courtney, though. All that matters to this death threat is that he compromised the quality of her apartment. And he's like, I don't even, I don't know if you have a shitty apartment. Like, he's so mad. I haven't she been won't. here. <laughs> don't take everything so personal. Like, the way he says that is so. Shane's delivery is, yes, absolutely incredible. Of Just like the fact that he gives a death threat. She responds nonsensically by saying, I don't have a shitty apartment. And he is the one who has the more furious reaction of like, well, I didn't mean it like that. Don't take everything so personal. When I say I kill you and I take you to your apartment, the apartment is metaphorical. I haven't been there, dude, is the most unhinged response to the most unhinged response. Let's be clear about that. Again, the alchemy. I just wish Danielle had been there to take issue with something else. <laughs> like, like say something that wasn't very sportsmanlike or something. <laughs> yeah, well, she'll say that later. Right? Yes. Like, we've all played on teams. We've all done sports. Like, come on. I love used that to it. Her like her, her one personality trait that they have made sure we know is that she is good at sports and likes sports. <laughs> and then Courtney will follow up by saying, "You're just so obnoxious." Jay goes, "I'm not obnoxious, man. <laughs> Think about it. Why are you so sensitive? <laughs> like the man talks in seventy-two point font, and I am." Obsessed with it. What I also realized uh, in retrospect is Shane is almost the second coming of Judd in how much he brings man into it. Now, what's interesting is that I don't know how many episodes they saw of Guatemala before going out because they didn't do the back to back season filming. 
I got to imagine Shane saw Judd's rant in that first episode, right? Where he talks about bringing the damn ball down the damn field, man. We're going to do that every freaking damn time, man. Well, I'm going to check that. I'm going to see if there's any chance he had seen it. So Panama started filming on Halloween. I remember seeing that. 2005. So yeah, they had seen, they had seen at least the first like three or weeks, I think. So they had seen up until if they were watching, they could have seen it depending on when they went to sequester. Let's say, well, like, we know that Shane they could have seen exactly- episode six. Brian's okay. Well, yeah. So maybe, and listen, we know that Shane is not on the up and up with his survivor history, but maybe <laughs> he was able to check out the first couple episodes of Guatemala and like cop onto Judd's mannerisms. We can only hope. We can only hope that he was secretly like, gotta emulate this guy. The two ADD boys. <laughs> 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 so there were more people to return home to quite the scene this this argument like the aftermath of the shane and Cor- courtney argument they're like shane is going crazy yeah Bruce like he's gone <laughs> rs says that shane looks like he's like an, a manic i don't know feral child like he hasn't eaten slept or talked to anybody in a few days we should also mention shane has this incredible confessional after their argument where he goes glenn close oh Sybil. yes Bunny boiler, fatal attraction. She's so scary, man. She's a lunatic, man. But then again, we have this like odd sandwich to this scene where it is like a slice of positive bread, a big ass chunky set of toppings and meats of just negativity. And then it ends with like, you know what? She's the perfect final (laughs) tube goat. It's the dream. What an odd way to end that entire thing. That's the lesson you take away. You threaten a woman's life. She somehow takes it as an affront to her apartment. You get angry at her, and your first response is like, "That's my ride or die." Gotta, Gotta keep love her, her around here, like not getting rid of her. And I also love again the sort of like disconnected sentence fragments of him just almost going again train of thought of Glenn Close, Sybil, Bunny Boiler, just giving the brief synopsis of Fatal Attraction for those that, of us that might have missed yeah. it. <laughs> no, it's great. And yeah, so they come back, and I also love Courtney reveals the news about Bruce. I didn't write down what she says, but she does it in the most nonchalant way possible. She's like, oh yeah, he's gone. <laughs> like, he, Bruce is gone. They took him but away. She, well, yeah, she, but and she ends it with, but I'm sure you guys had a great time. I'm yes. sure. <laughs> like, so petty! <laughs> like, and then they, then they walk into Shane, and Shane's holding a tiny snake, and he's like, I caught a boa constrictor. Like, it is just... Yeah, suffice it to say, Shane is not the master of zoology. I think his his pecker is probably bigger than the bow constrictor that he caught, quote unquote. And then again, we talk about the rhythm of this episode. We feel like, okay, we got to be dying down here. Like we've had this big, this big medevac, this big shitty apartment argument. We got to be kind of like getting, you know, falling action. We're going to rise one more time because Shane, this is what we were talking about earlier, the Sari and Danielle, Shane and Aris like dual conversation mere feet away from each other it's amazing and the interesting thing is that it's not like you know it's not Sari and courtney it's not like okay he said she said let's figure out exactly what happened here it's more so aris comforting shane and Sari and danielle just kind of sitting there providing commentary to the fact that shane is becoming so frazzled you know he basically goes into this entire shaquilla about how he refuses to go out before danielle because she's done nothing for 30 days uh sari she's put sari on his back all 300 pounds of her which is a objectively bad thing to say but shane's diatribe 
everyone's in big trouble now because I'm going to do whatever it takes. If you and Saria don't make me absolutely believe that it's still the three of us, I'm turning the whole game. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. He doesn't say I'm the captain now, but he does say I'm the game. I'm in the game now. I'm in the game. And everyone's a big, big problem. And meanwhile, Danielle's just like, didn't he play sports? Didn't he have teams? Like, you'll win yeah. some, you'll lose some. Like, <laughs> And then meanwhile, Shade's like, death to everyone. If you betray me, I will raise you all down. I don't care if you have the best rated apartment on Zillow. I do not discriminate. And Danielle, and about Danielle, he says, that bitch did nothing. Like, it's like, he's just like going in on everyone. <laughs> and it's just the, the energy between Suri, the, the, just again, two completely different conversations happening. Suri and, and Danielle are just kind of like observing him, but not really responding to what he's saying. And he's, it's, it's so, I just, did they all just like sit down at once and we're like, we're going <laughs> to each have two separate conversations here. It's just so funny. And what's wild is that because Suri is going to try to, you know, rebuild some bridges with Shane and he's going to talk about the four, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you brought this up on a previous episode. I don't remember if it's explicitly talked about in the yeah. season. I think the issue for Shane is like, he's fine going to four with Aris, Suri, and Danielle. He just is extra special sure that Danielle has to go out at four, yes. no matter what. If he does, if it doesn't happen, it's like an absolute offense to anything and everything he stands for. Yeah, this started to bubble up a bit in the past couple episodes of, of you know, not wanting Danielle in the end game. And this is, you know, his hill he wants to die on, kind of knowing, A, his security, and that Danielle, you know, is not going to be there. And, you know, so Cerise, you know, is trying to manage him. She swears on her children's lives that they're going to Final Four together. And then Shane is instantly like, okay, yeah, this sounds good. Like, I believe you. Like, like he <laughs> just so quickly, like, you know what? Yeah, this five-minute conversation after you demonstrated to me that you're actually closer with Danielle than I thought. Yeah, that's fine. I do wonder how much Sari and Shane connected over being parents. Mm, uh, that's and a good point. I want, I, and I wonder if this is the first time that Sari brought up her children as well. It's this idea of like, I know how important this is to you. Let me almost match your bet on the poker table by putting my chips in. And I feel like that may have been the something to like really diffuse Shane at this point and really bring him back. Plus the delusion that as he'll get into that, I got him right where I wanted. I threw these histrionics. I made this temper tantrum happen just to make sure they come crawling back to me. And look at me. They did. And now I have this final two with Courtney and this final three. Nothing will go wrong. No, that's a really good point. I didn't think about the kid thing because, yeah, he swore he swore on his kid earlier in the season. And look where that got him. He's never he feels like he is chained to this alliance. And so it makes sense from his perspective, Suri saying this, okay, well, she means it. Like, that's that's serious. It's like, it's where you speak someone else's language. Suri doesn't mean it. We know, like, Suri, you know, she's she's playing a game. She's not that kind of emotional person, but she's speaking his language by just knowing, okay, that's what matters to him. You know, it's yeah. like giving someone your word. You know, to someone like Terry, your his word is really important. This came up with, like, him and Dan um, and, like, their kind of alliance that they had and the way he like, you know, he speaks dance language when he has to vote him out. Like, I'm going to tell you like I think this is going to happen. Like, you know, I think I'm not, not going to force a tie tie for you. That's those, the kind of a language they have and the way they understand the game. Shane, it's, you talk about your kids. We're good. Yeah. And it makes me wonder again, going back to the simplicity of Terry's strategy, did he drop the ball by not trying to win Shane over by being like, I swear on my son, who I have, also a person who has a son, 
that I will not betray you. And Shane's like, okay, if I want to pick somebody up, then I definitely will. Or maybe it was just, again, this, as Sari talks about with the reward challenges, sort of like a first in strategy of like, well, I did promise my son to them earlier. So I get what you're doing with your son, but I can't accept your offer. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't have worked if it was like, sorry, I'm, I'm spoken for. Um, <laughs> I'm already committed. I have a promise ring and everything. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, it just works out. And then Shane is like, my rant was calculated. I I was doing all that. Absolutely not, sir. We saw the confessionals. We saw, like, you're, like, are you saying that was all just part of your game? Like, no, no one believes that. <laughs> Not only that, he says he thinks he subconsciously controls the trio. Like, there's nothing about you that's sub, man. You are all dom all the time. Like, there's no way you are not drawing attention to yourself with each and everything that you do. And you have just learned that everyone thinks you are not in control of the game. And so that's just such, like like we said, like, it's so funny how he just, it just, like, goes right over. He hears it. He's like, that sucks. But by the time we get here, he's like, no, they were wrong. I'm in control of the game. Like, I might not have been in control then, but now I am. I've done everything in my, I need to do to be in control of these people who have, or who have already wheeled and deals and made deals, wheeled and dealed and made deals behind my back I didn't know about before. But certainly that's not going to happen again. <laughs> yeah. And then to just not be outdone, Courtney is going <laughs> yeah, to there do we go. one of the most tone deaf things on top of one of the most other tone-deaf things of saying she had a pretty poo-poo day, of going into Bruce's Zen Rock Garden, which the entire thing was that this is a pristine environment that should be untouched. It should be a serene location to go to and reflect upon your own mental state. And she comes up with the idea of just completely reorganizing it to make messages along the side that say, Bruce... Love you. Though I don't know, could Courtney have predicted one of the tribe names in the new era, uh, Christine, because there was a Luvu tribe in Survivor 41. I think she just had a uh, Bruce's rock garden inspired a premonition and and she she foresaw the new era. I do love S- Serene really eggs her on here. She's like, he's gonna love it. Like, she, and I don't know. Yeah. I would love to know if I got to talk, I ever got to interview Serene, be like, did you really think you would? Like, if you're if you were Corey in the big brother house right now that's the first thing you would ask her just like absolutely what did you think about Corey doing this because i totally agree i i think sari would know how insensitive this is that if bruce had an edit of the episode in his hospital room and he's watching it he's just like you know what just let the poop take me (laughs) over at this point i don't want this to happen my my grave has been desecrated, essentially. This one place where I said you're not supposed to go into, you went into and completely redid to spell out some sort of chintzy message, like if you're writing on someone's car during senior week in high school. He's gonna love it. <laughs> Hags, Bruce. Hags, Bruce. Oh, God. And then but we take the sweet moment from Danielle saying, you know, she thinks of him like a father figure, which is we know um, when Danielle competes on Heroes vs. Villains, she does list Bruce as the contestant she most respects. Mm. In her preseason questionnaire, Sugar also said Bruce, which is <laughs> cool. <laughs> that one do, you think, is- do you think Sugar was looking next to her while like everyone was filling out the forms and like copied off of her? Okay. Answer two is, is Bruce. Is Bruce. <laughs> and they were just she was just sitting next to Danielle. Um, but no, Danielle and Bruce. I mean, and Bruce's daughter is named Danielle, as we learned oh. uh, last week in the the f- family videos. Yeah, his daughter is named Danielle. Looks like a 
I think a kid is a teenage daughter named Danielle. So they clearly had a, a, a connection. But I also, when Danielle says, I had an eerie feeling last night, he wasn't even in the shelter. Like, is, is she like a medium? Like, is she the Boston medium? <laughs> yeah, I like, kind of love the Boston medium. <laughs> Just like, all right. I have a feeling your brother, he played sports. He was on a team. <laughs> he was a captain. <laughs> exactly. Like that's all and she's like doing it like at a football field. Like she's always asking athletes to communicate with ghosts because she knows it's always to do with sports. Exactly. That's all she's interested. She only it's she says I only um uh contact the the spirits of former athletes. Um yeah, they say they send off Bruce in his rock garden, but they don't even know if he's gone for good yet. I mean this is Yeah, still- imagine if he came back like what the hell? <laughs> I also love when they talk. I get it. Like when people are medevaced, it's like you don't know where they are. It's like when they talk about wherever he is. Like it sounds like he's dead. Like you know, I don't know. Like he got kidnapped. Like he's like it's part of a sex operation or something where he's in Romania. But I love the next day. Like we made fun of Courtney's poor word choices, but I'm an equal opportunity offender here. Jeff Probst showing up at camp and telling everyone, "If you find a seat, plop it." Come on, Jeff, of all the words to use. Also, I want to know, Terry and Jeff are in the boat together, but they clearly, like, Terry says he doesn't know what happened to Bruce. They just, like, go ride the boat in complete silence together. Yeah, maybe they rode one of those blackout boats like they do nowadays, where, like, all the, they're blindfolded, and, like, yeah. Jerry, Terry and Jeff just had to sit there in stark silence. <laughs> or maybe this is why uh, Jeff gained even more love for Terry besides the underdog story. He just got to know his entire life story in the boat ride back from exile. He's like, oh, no, we're just going on a little boys trip. We're not, nothing's happening, you know? <laughs> like, maybe the reason why Jeff didn't bring up anything about Bruce to Terry is because he just, like, lost track at time he was regaled <laughs> by so much conversation about him like wow and he's like oh yeah amazing. oh there was something i was supposed to say oh we'll bring it up at the beach once you plop it yeah so this episode is does end like kind of abruptly <laughs> like it's like we said the rhythm it's not a unique uh, not a normal survivor episode the rhythm of the episode's all weird and jeff just like you know bruce couldn't poop his entire digestive system was blocked he's gonna be okay but he's not returning to the game as a player. Jeff also in poor taste, like building the suspense. And he's like, he's going to be okay, but he will not <laughs> be t- turning to the game as a player. He's like, okay, come on. Like he, he is dead, or at least his chances of winning the game are because yeah. he's removed. <laughs> um, and, but he's like, you know, he, he could be on the jury depending as whether or not he gets cleared. He's going to be on the jury. <laughs> Bruce breathes his last breath into that weird tube the medic put into his mouth, but he's fine right now. He's breathing on his own. <laughs> he's on his own. So yeah, no tribal. Bruce is out of the game. This is super bad for Kasaya because it's like, they just like, their best case scenario is Terry loses, one of them goes, and they at least get the idol out of play. This is just p- kicking the can down the line. They now have to like, okay, hope next week Terry loses, and then one of them goes, and then they can get him the week after, as long as he doesn't win immunity. It's just, it's not stated, but it is bad for them. <laughs> Yeah, they're essentially taking out the lowest rung on the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. These people thought it was a guarantee. Okay, listen, if Terry wins, loses immunity and has to use the idol, at least Bruce is gone then. Because, like, who is really including Bruce in their endgame plans? He's not even goady enough to take the end like a Courtney. This changes those plans, and maybe we'll see it as soon as next episode that that causes people to immediately start to rethink things now that the surefire guaranteed outcome is not happening anymore i mean and shane's ready to turn the game on its head so you know now that he's in control who knows what he's gonna do yeah exactly look at him 
Look at him. Not too much. He's naked. He is in the game now. <laughs> and Terry sends Bruce off by saying Bruce is a master sensei, a 57-year-old master sensei. He says other things, but I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, in the truest sense, I think he says. It's like, Terry, you're from Connecticut. I think you just learned the word sensei yesterday. <laughs> so Bruce's final words are not shown, and instead he gets this insane montage of him doing karate on exile with the weirdest music like they couldn't even like they could have gotten some clips of the players talking about bruce and like overlaid it like you yeah. know we're really gonna miss bruce you know he's a good nothing it's just this weird music yeah it's this extended scene of bruce just doing karate to the camera and it's like Yep, that's how we'll always remember Bruce, the karate guy. But we won't. Bruce contains multitudes. As Shane talks about, he's lived this like big gargantuan life where he's an art teacher. He's a sensei. He has all these life skills, all these nature skills. Bruce is not just one thing. And so it is, you know, a little tough to finish up by just being like, yeah, Bruce, karate guy, right? Mr. Miyagi, as Shane insensitively called him in the very first episode. <laughs> oh and that's God. how we're going to remember him by. <laughs> So I just have to let you know, Mike, we are, this, this is not the longest episode of Sanima or Stanawatu so far. So I just want to oh congratulate you. We have officially surpassed the mark. Previously, I believe yeah. it was the um, episode with uh, Dr. Amanda and Bill. Yeah, I do, I do talk the amount of two people. So yes, that does make sense. I mean, listen, it, much like Bruce's removal, it wasn't an inevitability. So I'm, I'm hopeful it was all you know, quality and quantity, but I could go for one over the other. I think it's all been quality. So before we do episode titles and plugs, is there anything else you want to say to wrap up this fantastic episode of Survivor? It is tough. We comb through this like you should be with a rock garden. I mean, I will also say like, it's not really highlighted in this episode, but I, I hope you can speak upon this as well. Like how good of a character Bruce was. Oh, yeah. To whether it's the fact that he has this like little nasally voice and he's this short guy, the fact that he is also annoying, of course, the saga with Bob Dog getting shit faced in the outhouse with the wine. There's all these little quirks about Bruce. I do think he is probably the most purple player of the season by confessional, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. just because they don't often go to him. But he is a fantastic example to me of like a survivor supporting character where he'll just be doing a bunch of wacky shit that people will comment on maybe, but usually no one will really take notice of because it's the status quo. And of course, one of the odd characters of the season will go out in the oddest way possible. Uh, not literally, but the idea of him being medevaced for the most wild reason possible that he got constipated from eating a Panamanian feast a week and a half ago. I cannot say it enough. You cannot write this shit. <laughs> no, Bruce is, I think, a very, um, you know, it's... Easy to forget Bruce as a character beyond the poop of it all, you know, outside of that, because it's just Kasaya is so crazy. He's a latecomer into Kasaya. He's at the he's not at the center of the Kasaya drama in the sense he's not in that Courtney Shane Danielle trio. You know, he's he's so often like they just cut to him and he's just doing his karate on the beach. So he's it's I think it's easy to forget him as a very funny character. I what struck me about him this rewatch that like. I hadn't really thought about it as much. It's just how delusional he is, but in a way that's like so endearing. Like, you know, he's just constantly like, I'm really in it now. Like, like they're like so obviously catering to him by being like, yeah, Bruce, you're in charge. And then we get a confessional. Bruce is like, I'm in charge. It's just so endearing. He's so out of it and so endearing in his arguments with like, he still is a, a Kasaya member. He and Aris with their arguments about the rock garden, his, Yep. getting mad at Courtney about the rock garden. Like you said, the Bob dog thing, like his, you know, whole thing, he's still 
a member of Kasaya and still a fantastic character, even though, like you said, he's quite under-edited. I'm looking, yeah, looking at it. He's very, even in this episode, you know, only has like two confessionals, Um, Mm -hmm. but very under-edited, but near and dear to my heart. He's, he's someone who's grown on me with each, each rewatch. Yeah. And he is a master sensei in the truest sense. (laughs) And he couldn't poop. And he couldn't poop most importantly. (laughs) (laughs) So, First, before we do episode titles, Mike, this has just been an absolute blast. This was everything I hoped it would be. So I hope fun. it was fun for you. I love this. This is one, again, there's a reason why I bought this episode on iTunes, <laughs> because it's maybe one of the Survivor episodes I've watched the most, because there's just so much good stuff mm-hmm. into it. It is on par to me with like some of the funniest scripted comedies, with just how much incredible details happen. And the, the best thing about it is that it's unscripted, is that all these things happen to fall in place in just the right place in just the right time. It's very much, I think, an episode that lifts this season for me that I think serves as a perfect representation of what this season contains, which is just nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense across the board, and I am so here for it. So we can't script it, but we will script our episode titles. We have the opportunity Mm. on this podcast to rewrite history, and if given the chance, decide what we would call these episodes. So, Mike, I let my guests go first. If you'd like to go first, Omer wanted me to go first last time. So if you want me to go first, I can. But if not, the choice is yours. Oh, well, now I don't want to look rude. While <laughs> Omer was just the epiphany of uh, the epitome, I should say, of chivalry. I would like to go first, though, go because this is a pretty easy one for me. Look, we're still one season away from them adapting the quotes from the players as quotes, since now we're still going with the generic titles, of course, we have to remember the first episode title that did that, besides like the I've been bamboozled, is uh, like, I want to screw with him, but I can't because he screwed with my chickens or something like that. Like the longest episode title ever. I gotta pull a quote from here. It's gotta be pretty poo-poo day. Come on. That is low-hanging fruit, much like Shane's balls in Bruce's face. All right, pretty poo-poo day. I'm going on the poop train. I mean, it has to be. I'm going with Bruce just saying, couldn't pass a deuce. (laughs) I mean, it's got to be. There's so many, so few poop-centered episodes in Survivor history. Like, when are you ever going to get poop in a title? No, we have to take our opportunities when they're presented and and go for it. Another thing to be said that's interesting about this episode is they make it very clear this is going to be a medical emergency episode by calling it medical emergency. I love, like, they just, they aren't even going to pretend that that's the core of the episode. So it's already an interesting episode title in that way of, like, just getting straight to the point, but we're getting even more to the point with the poop of it all. Right, exactly. It's like, this person leaves at the end of this episode is basically what it could have been titled. Though, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe they thought it would have been a red herring that we got with like the Bruce Tooth stuff of, okay, maybe, you know, it's a false alarm that the Australian takes that person away and then they pump their bowels and then they come back good as new. <laughs> so yes, for episode titles this week, we have Mike with Pretty Poo Poo Day, as said by Courtney Merritt, and I have Bruce, Bruce's quote of couldn't pass a deuce. So we'll put, as always, we'll put a poll in. Um, I am th- not thriving in these polls. I have won once. We'll see. I mean, we'll see if I win last week's. It's still going. Who knows? We'll see if I win this week's. But my guests are just too good. So, but I did win the first one. So at least, you know, I started off the season on a high note. So Mike, where can the people find you? Any causes you would like to plug? The, the floor is yours. Oh my God. Well, first off, if you thought this was going to be the longest podcast in the series history beforehand, just wait until I get to plugs. <laughs> uh, so I will mention at the top everything 
that I am doing out there, and it is fortunately a lot. I uh, just pimp out there at a Mike Bloom type, mainly on Twitter slash X, but on Instagram, other platforms as well. Uh, so let me start with the big in here, because this is a very recent development that honestly, I'm still a little like mystified by. So I am on Cameo now, somehow, to quote Gia Gunn, I guess there's room for everyone. Uh, so I am on Cameo for $10. I'll do just about anything. I've already received a good amount of requests, and it's been so heartening and so surprising as well. So if you want me to send a message to somebody, uh, you know, answer a question, do something silly with a costume or a song or whatever, the world is your oyster, and hopefully I'm the pearl there, so you can check that out over on Cameo. From a reality TV perspective, right now, the whirlpool is really starting to swirl with Big Brother and The Challenge both airing on CBS. I'm doing wall-to-wall coverage of that, whether it's Big Brother, doing Exit Press, posting intermittent recaps and articles and other stuff like that for Parade.com, and occasionally appearing on podcasts as well. At the time of recording this, I just appeared on my first live feed update, which also went on for like the same amount of time as this and was so, so much fun. And then the Challenge USA, which includes some Survivor alum, I'm also covering with Exit Press as well. That's been a very fun time. And then over on Post Show Recaps, I'll go scripted for a second. Uh, I am covering uh, Ahsoka, which is the Star Wars series that is actually at the time this is being released should be out with its first two episodes. So if you're into Star Wars, covering that, I'm watching Battlestar Galactica for the first time and covering that with Josh Wegler, which has been a delight. I'm having so much fun with this show. Christina is celebrating. I love Battlestar. Right uh, it's been, I've been having a great time with it. It's one of those things where I hit myself and I'm like, why didn't I get into this show sooner? And then I'll pivot back to the reality TV of it all. Because look, we are in mid-August right now. We are approaching the one-month mark before the premiere of Survivor 45, as well as The Amazing Race 35. Safe to say, I've got some coverage coming. Whenever the cast is released, I will have interviews with all of members of the cast, including the returnee uh, over at Parade.com in written form, as well as with Rob in podcast form, breaking it all down. And a little bit of a tease, Christine. One player may or may not have mentioned in my interview this very podcast. I have a feeling I know who that is. <laughs> and you can wonder, Bruce is actually a giant fan of Stanima. He put in a guest slot. I said, I'll try to communicate it down the line and we'll see. <laughs> so I did my purpose. Ooh, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, so that's, I would say that's all I've got, but suffice it to say, it is a lot. Again, I'm incredibly grateful for this. Thank you. I was telling you this before, but obviously, since, you know, I'm very much uh, immersed in the world of Big Brother right now, despite the Sari connection, I love getting to talk Survivor after having such a break from it, and especially old school Survivor is so near and dear to my heart. And so getting this opportunity is second to none. So thank you for, you know, giving me this chance to come on and talk about the exact opposite of a pretty poo-poo episode. <laughs> Wow. That was, I will say that's, that's probably the longest plugs anyone has ever done, but you are booked and busy and I respect it. I am less booked and busy. Um, I mean, you can continue listening to this podcast. I, we will be back next week. I'll just do this now. We'll be back next week to discuss Perilous Scramble, which is a very Ooh. fun episode. Two returning guests who would join me for Stanawatu. So very excited to have them back. Um, I think it's going to be a really good time. But other than that, you can listen to the Bitter Jurors main feed. 
Derek and Sam are still doing Legend of Korra stuff. You should listen to Buffy Boyfriends, which is Sam's podcast where they talk about him and his boyfriend Mike talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I will be appearing on that for their season three coverage because my favorite character appears starting in season three. So I got to get on there. Um, so whenever that comes out, I'll be doing that. You can read my writing on Inside Survivor. That will be starting up, of course, when uh, the... Uh, 45 when the 45 starts when season 45 begins in just a month or so um, you can listen to the shadow play gaze the podcast about revolutionary girl utina derek and i keep saying we're gonna do the live action musicals and i keep forgetting i'm gonna message him again about it as once we get off this podcast so hopefully that will be back um and i'm gonna plug something i haven't plugged yet but my uh fiance uh commissioned an opera in fragments, uh, a song cycle um, based on the writings of Sappho. It had its world premiere in Montreal earlier this month. And on in September, we will be launching a website that I'm designing uh, where you'll be able to watch the piece um, online. It'll be available for two years. So if you want to get updates on that, I mean, I'll share it once it's live because I'm building it. You, but you can also follow the project on Instagram at Sappho.project. Um, but again, I will share the links to that. It's really exciting. She's been working on this since for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And the premiere is fantastic and you'll be able to see the piece and experience it in my website. So stay tuned for that. Something very unconventional to plug, which is fun. I believe that's it for me. Mike, thank you again. We've hit the two hour mark. I'm sure it will oh. get edited down a bit, um, but let the record show people we've been recording for two hours. Mike's the no, first the one to pleasure. pass it. <laughs> All right, that's record broken, I suppose. Can't wait to come yes. back and do three more for the next whatever episode. Though I don't know. I don't know if there's another episode of Survivor I can talk about as passionately as this one. It is just perfect. <laughs> well, thank you again. This was fantastic. And again, we'll be back next week for Perilous Scramble. And Mike, good luck with Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> the sincerity of that is so well felt. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, everyone, have a great week. And... Yeah, I don't know how to end it other than, other than good luck with Big Brother to everyone watching it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and also with you. <laughs> and also with you.